5: Visit RightRug.com, that's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey
4: everybody, Robert Evans here, and I wanted to let you know this is a compilation episode, so every episode of the week that just happened. Uh, is here in one convenient and with somewhat less ads package for you to listen to in a long stretch if you want. Uh, if you've been listening to the episodes every day this week, there's going to be nothing new here for you, but you can make your own decisions. Welcome to It Could Happen Here, the podcast where we spend all of our time talking about skin care. Now, personally, and a lot of people say this is a bad idea, I enjoy using concentrated chlorine with a little bit of ammonia. Oh, um, it just cleans the pores. It cleans the grout. It 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 gets all of that pesky code out of your lungs. Um, you know, uh, uh, an entire generation of British and German and French boys all agree: chlorine gas does the trick. How are we doing? What what's this episode about?
6: Not Hi, that.
7: welcome welcome to It Could Happen Here a podcast okay. about things falling apart and how we can maybe put them back together. Okay. I'm Garrison. Um I'll be I'll be leading leading this sode. Um with me is 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 Chris and uh this this random person that we brought on uh from the street named Robert. Yep. Um and we'll be talking about some things that are not great, and kind of current problems. We, we sure um, will. <laughs> so i i spent I spent a lot of my formative youth uh, lurking, uh, studying, and kind of documenting some of the some some of the bad places on the internet. You know, uh, Nazi chat rooms, chat sites, hate, hate Facebook hate groups. You know, whatever. The, all all of all the things. Um, and you know, growing up in Portland, Oregon, in like the twenty teens, this was this was something that felt kind of foisted upon me. As as a kid, discovering my own queerness and uh, coming out of an extremely homophobic, uh, like insular Christian community. Um, meanwhile, in Portland, having you know self-described fascists march alongside gay-hating Christians on my city streets. Nazis murdering people on our public transit. You know that uh that 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 put a lot of uh, fellow fellow scrawny gay kids uh to put on black black hoodies and balaclavas uh, to Mason, fight far right extremists that were like two to three times our size. Um, but the problem is of course, uh, what, 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 100 pound depressed teens aren't, aren't necessarily the best brawlers, um, under, under some circumstances.
4: Although they can handle a, a, a fire extinguisher filled with paint pretty well. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um,
7: but a, a lot of us also started doing like online research and stuff. Um, to find like the names and addresses dresses of like fascists and members of hate groups and all, all that kind of all that kind of stuff. I, I I still remember the kind of the 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 thrill and the buzz of my first like big find, uh, as as a as a baby online lurker. Um, it was it, I think it was it was the leader of the uh, hell shaking street preachers. Who was living in oh Tillamook, Oregon at the that time? Fucking prick! That that was that was the first guy I did, um, and I, I remember being very excited, being because yeah, he was he was a massive asshole. Um, so yeah, he, he's you know, he's like a you know very extremely homophobic quote unquote yeah. street
4: preacher, just a big old chode.
7: Yeah. A lot of like this, like online research work, wasn't wasn't just cross-referencing social media posts with the white pages, property records, and voter registrations to send nice postcards to hate group members. Uh, t- time was often spent tracking the use of like memes and cataloging and sharing uh, uh, fascists' uh, plans for projects and events, c- keeping keeping tabs on like their current propaganda trends that online white supremacists were were trying to were trying to push, and. Um, one of one of the things that I, I came across about about two years ago was called Operation Pridefall. This was this is one of the one of the one of, one of these like it, it was an organized campaign ran by people on Four Chan, Discord, and Telegram. I, I came across it a few a few days after the the plans were published online. And if you already know what Operation Pridefall is, or or have heard that term before, uh. And if you're, you know, like me and we're on similar online spaces, you've you've probably found the past few months of anti-queer propaganda, uh, the massive increase in the gay and trans people are groomer shit and the uh, uh, shutters uh, kink at pride discourse to be all very, very predictable, uh, a, a strangely familiar, like the worst case of deja vu. And in large part uh, the result of years of work behind the scenes by, by social engineering uh, online bigoted trolls and self-described fascists. So, we're going to we're going to talk today about kind of the overlap between this this thing called Operation Pridefall, uh, the groomer discourse and how that kind of feeds into kinket pride discourse. So, three things that are not great that don't go great oh, together. Well, that actually do kind of go great together. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, unfortunately, so, yes. So, um a, a first first of all, a little a little background on the whole recent groomer thing. Because we haven't actually discussed uh, the groomer stuff in depth on the pod yet. Um, we sure
4: haven't. You know why we haven't? Because <laughs> I stupid. Hate it. it. sucks. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's just true.
7: I mean, like, whenever like horrible things happen in the news, I try to push back on just releasing an episode immediately covering it in case we have something like actually good to say. <laughs> um, so we've kind of waited to talk about uh, the groomer discourse stuff for a long time, but um, and i think now is is totally is totally fine uh to do so because we've had we've had months to let it uh to let it simmer look at like the types of things they're encouraging look at all of like the um, physical action they're trying to do and with pride month approaching we're going to see a resurgence of it in the next few weeks here um so as mentioned in our uh, in, in our week-long War on Trans People episodes, uh, which was released like right before the new wave of the groomer shit accelerated. But in, in those episodes, we talked about the long history of conservatives and evangelical organizations promoting the false narrative targeted at parents and like concerned citizens that gay people, especially gay men, uh, are more likely to be child predators than their heterosexual counterparts. Uh, along with the idea that queer people are out to, quote, groom your definitely 100% straight child into being gay, right? Uh, so in, insinuating that they, that they can then, like, have sex with them or something. Um, it's But, yeah, they're trying to scare parents to be like, gay people are out to get your kids! Um, so... It's the, the 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 actual like idea of what being a groomer means changes based on who you're talking to. Um, in part two, I'm gonna gonna quote a conservative writer who like admits this as as such, but still defends the use of the term, mm-hmm. um, because at the very least, if they they use grooming within the context of turning your again absolutely completely heterosexual child. Totally. Um, into a gay person, thus they would, you know, begin to hate you and resent you as a parent for your godly Christian values. They also consider that grooming. Um, it's not It's not, It's not. not actually just...
4: As a general rule, the attitude is if they do not turn out to be the exact kind of weirdo Christian as their parents, they were groomed by somebody, and it's merely a matter of picking the topic, the person to blame.
7: Yeah, and all of that sort of rhetoric was extremely popular uh, through, like, the 80s, the 90s, and the early 2000s. Um, but then came the knots in the twenty teens, and this 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 kind of had an attitude shift, and some of that started to go away. We got we got Queer Eye, we got Ellen. Uh, the rate of conversion therapy started to decline. Uh, it was getting banned in more states. There was more queer acceptance in certain in certain sects of the church. Even, of course, gay marriage went national in twenty fifteen, and eventually being like aggressively homophobic became like not a good look. Uh, it, it did. It was not. You were not able to do that anymore um, and still be able to have and, – and, and and do it as, like, nonchalantly as you were – as you used to be able to, whether that's in your, like, TV show or whether that's you as a corporation um, or, you know, some uh, random other sectors of public life. But then, of course, Trump got elected in 2016, a uh, year after gay marriage, went national. And then there's this resurgence in far-right extremism. And the more kind of commonly accepted kind of nonchalant gay bashing of old gets passed down to the next freak down the line, which is trans people. So with that, the, the adage of, like, the disgusting groomer freaks are gonna turn your kids gay turns into the gender ideology freaks are gonna turn your kids trans. It's all the same stuff, just passed on to the next, to the next thing. Um, and th- th- so we have that, like, anti-trans and therefore anti-queer hate festering for a few years. And this inevitably opens up the door to just a revival of classic homophobia. Um, even even liberals like Friend of the Pod, J.K. Rowling, um, and lots of the original TERFs got to apply the same homophobic rhetoric to trans people um, and gender non-conforming folks, which then obviously results in that propaganda and rhetoric being used to attack LGBTQ people on a whole once again. So it, it's, it's resurrecting these old homophobic tropes and just applying it to a new generation of queer people. Um, and uh and so for this next part we're going to we're going we're gonna to talk about libs of tiktok because they 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 did play a big a big part in what's what some current discourse is today and i i promise we'll get to operation pridefall here shortly just ha- just hang in there with me uh but before we talk about again other friend of the pod libs of tiktok um do you know what else
4: it wants to turn your kids gay Oh, are you talking about the Washington State Highway Patrol? Because yes, they absolutely do garrison. That's the one guarantee the Washington State Highway Patrol makes. They'll make your kids gay.
7: Okay, libs of TikTok joins the fight. God,
4: I... Let's just take a moment to acknowledge how fucking frustrating it is that we have to discuss seriously I know. libs I know. of TikTok, that it matters. <laughs> I know. Like, the worst. It's I terrible. Know. It's terrible.
7: I, I, people always criticize the show for being like, why do they talk about all these dumb social media things? So, like, yes, I know that they're stupid, but the, the bad part is, is that they actually matter.
4: Yeah. And I they, mean, maybe, yeah, we talk about it because of the 17-year-old trans girl in Texas who just got assaulted by, like, five dudes because- She was blamed on the shooting, and she was blamed for the shooting because in part of a lot of shit that Libs of TikTok helped to stir stir up, because they proved there was a market for it, that if you're like a right-wing shit grifter, attacking trans people is a great way to get engagement. Anyway, sorry, Garrison.
7: Yeah, so (sighs) Libs of TikTok is a social media account turned social media campaign started in April of 2021 by a Brooklyn area real estate agent named Chaya Rychik. Um, who, by the way, attended the January sixth attempted fascist insurrection? Um, when 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 violence broke out that day at the Capitol, she actually tweeted a play by play on a previous Twitter account of hers, uh, posting videos from the crowd and uh, talking about tear gas and rubber bullets being like shot right next to her. Um, and then after she left the riot, she t- she tweeted on Twitter that uh, that the the event was peaceful compared to a BLM protest. So that's yes anyway uh, five yeah, five people died um, we we've, so. yeah we, we've
8: we've we we've, we've, we've now reached a part of it we're, we're 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 now in tragedy of as farce of the thing that happens in every single state yes. that goes fascist where all the fascists try to do a coup and it fails and then nothing happens and then they take over the state like yeah. years later except our version of that instead of like i don't know weird fascist yakuza guys it's the libs of tiktok
7: it is the libs of tiktok so (sighs) the libs of tiktok was around like the third attempt by uh to start a viral social media account uh you know the saying third time's the charm uh but in this case it actually was so the account's gimmick is uh reposting and often grossly misrepresenting select clips from quote-unquote libs uh On TikTok, big big shocker, big 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 surprise. Uh, But more often than not, that really just means posting videos of queer kids and trans people, uh, captioning it with something reactionary, and then leading a targeted harassment campaign against those individuals. Uh, On on May thirty first, twenty twenty one, so just about a year ago, uh, she made her first grooming related post. Just tweeting, stop grooming kids in all caps. This is the first time she tweeted anything related to grooming. Um, The day before that, she tweeted a video of a trans person um, alongside the vomit emoji and a caption that just says, men should not wear dresses, you can't change my mind. Her first super viral uh, video related to LGBTQ people was later in June, uh, next month, during Pride. Uh, by posting a TikTok of a kid explaining the concept of gender fluidity, a pretty pretty basic concept, uh, but she uh, lives of TikTok commented, "This is so messed up in so many ways." Uh, her her post racked up half a million views and indicated to her that the way to grow her little social media project into a right wing viral sensation was going to be with homophobia and transphobia. Uh, this this is how she decided to continue her online career essentially she called the uh, prominent lgbtq uh, youth suicide prevention group the trevor project a, a grooming organization and towards the end of 2021 and into 2022 she kept using that term grooming groomer uh, at, at, a, at an ever increasing rate right it's, it's, it starts starts in like may and june of 2021 continues throughout the summer and fall and then in the fall and winter, she starts really kicking up all of the stuff around around grooming and queer people. I mean, all of her posts are already mostly about trans people and like trans people at schools. Um, obviously, she was a big part of like the the whole school board thing from last year. So. But towards the end of 2021, though, is when uh, the, the groomer thing started becoming more of a recurring trend, uh, quoting, qu- quoting Slate. Uh, Toward the end of 2021 and into the new year, Rycheck found her rhythm with memes and videos calling LGBTQ people and those who supported LGBTQ youth, quote-unquote, groomers. She has even attempted to smear one of the most prominent gay men in the country as a groomer. Uh, In a deleted tweet, Rycheck's account accused Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg's husband, Chastin, uh, of grooming kids for his work at at supporting LGBTQ youth Look, organizations.
4: this isn't fair, but I hate that his name is Chaston.
7: I, I know. I don't <laughs> like. I
4: don't like that name. I don't, I don't like that name.
7: I'm, I'm sorry. not a big. It has I'm nothing not a, to do with anything. I'm not a Chaston Stan either. But oh, it's yes, so shocking. But but yeah, it's like finding <laughs> the most prominent libby gay men and being like, hey, these people probably groom kids, and you know that that obviously riles up their base. Oh, wow. Yes. Um, she's She's called for any teacher who comes out as gay to their students to be quote fired on the spot, uh, which actually has happened since then. Uh, sure this has is, this has happened multiple times since 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 this account has been has been launched. Um, the, the account's popularity grew alongside uh, last year's uh, racist, homophobic, and transphobic attacks on school boards across the country. She would often posting videos of queer teachers and lying about them grooming kids into being gay or whatever. Uh, She was promoting organized harassment campaigns against those teachers, uh, interspersed with tweets and screenshots of news articles about teachers who sexually assaulted students. Importantly, not posting the article, but just like a screenshot of the headline along with comments like, funny how this keeps happening, which is like neglects to mention that like all these incidents are from heterosexual teachers uh, or like that one story from last year of a cop and his wife who was a teacher working together to sexually abuse children. Like none of them are actually yeah. about gay people.
4: It's all. Like- I mean, <laughs> I'm not certain if a school resource officer has ever stopped a mass shooting, but I know that something like 50 of them have been fired from molesting kids.
7: Yeah. <laughs> so but like, it's, it's, it, 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 it's really, it's really insidious because mm-hmm. she's, she's posting all this stuff about, you know, teachers grooming kids uh, you know, in, into being like queer teachers grooming kids, like uh, alongside headlines of teachers actually assault, like sexually sexually assaulting kids, but those headlines are all of stories about heterosexual teachers, <laughs> like. But you know, she, so she posts both of those things, so it's like a to like to have this correlation for for her audience, despite them not actually being related because yeah lips of tiktok sure ain't posting about how cops should be kept away from kids for the safety of the children
8: um yeah, they're, they're they're never going to post about how many people who do no. the grooming stuff have been arrested because like several of the organizers of of, of this whole like gay people are like grooming kids thing like have been arrested for child abuse since this started which never
7: yeah gonna show up <sighs> No, it's not. It's never it's never going to matter. But, you know, posting and lying about queer teachers grooming children next to headlines about teachers sexually abusing kids to manufacture this correlation, which is, of course, false. But it's still highly effective. Now, believe me, I would love to not talk about Twitter nonsense, but unfortunately, Twitter accounts like clips of TikTok actually do play a massive role in shaping offline conservative politics. Uh, Libs of TikTok was very soon being interviewed by New York Post, being boosted by Joe Rogan, going on Tucker Carlson. uh, Other Fox News hosts like Jesse Waters began featuring content straight from the Libs of TikTok Twitter feed, uh, and Tucker encouraged his viewers to follow the account before it's banned if you want to know, quote, what may be happening in your child's school. Last March, when Libs at TikTok posted a video of a woman teaching sex ed to kids in Kentucky, like, you know, preteens or whatever, Uh, she called the woman a a predator. And the next evening, the same clip was featured on Laura Ingram's Fox News program with the host saying, When did our school, any of any schools, become become what are essentially grooming centers for gender identity radicals? So yeah, this is just content straight from TikTok being put onto the most watched news programs in the world. Um, And as we'll see, also being taken in by some of the most powerful conservative politicians. Uh, Mainstream conservative politicians quickly joined in in the tooting of the libs of TikTok grooming horn. Uh, Obviously, uh, Ron DeSantis is a big, big part of this. Uh, One of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' top aides and press secretary is a huge fan of Libs of TikTok um, and is uh, in frequent communication with them, quoting the Washington Post. Quote: By March 2022, Libs of TikTok was directly impacting legislation. Ron DeSantis's press secretary, Christina Pershaw, credited the account with, quote, opening her eyes and informing her views on the state's restrictive legislation that bans discussion of sexuality or gender identity in kindergarten through third grade, referred to critics as the Don't Say Gay Bill. The bill has been, uh, unquote. So this bill has has already been used to get middle school teachers fired uh for 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 saying that they are not straight um and you'll, you'll notice that middle school is not in kindergarten through third grade uh so remember when we were all saying hey the actual it actually doesn't matter that the bill says it's only up for kindergarten through third grade it's just going to be applied for anyone yeah it turns out we were right uh so it's this the bill's already been specifically cited in the firing of, mul- of multiple teachers from Florida uh for for uh, just not not you know conforming to the heterosexual Christian hegemonic worldview and Libs of TikTok is still currently among the most prominent influencers affecting actual material conditions and shaping both the rhetoric and propaganda while impacting legislation um friend of libs of tiktok uh, and Desantis's press secretary christina pershaw has said quote the bill that liberals inaccurately call don't say gay would be more accurately described as an anti-grooming bill if you're against the anti-grooming bill you probably are a groomer or at least you don't denounce the grooming of four to eight year old children silence is complicity. this is how it works democrats (laughs) this is how it works democrats and i didn't make the rules so, yeah, so you see how we have see see how that works you call you call the don't say gay bill a anti grooming bill, so then everyone anyone who criticizes it is now a groomer is its't that a fun way to play with words? Is't that nice?
4: That is a fun way to play with words garrison uh-huh. I love it
7: <laughs> so the the past few months we've seen this you know queer people are groomers' meme reach seemingly uh never never before seen heights. And, uh, and it at least is is and at the very least is the highest and most memetic it's ever been in the past two decades, uh, you know. It's and it's really building off of all of the "kill your local p- pedophile" shit, right? It
4: sure is. It's it's
7: Yo. the Robert. Do you want to briefly briefly talk about "kill your local local yeah, pedophile"?
4: I mean, it's a bunch of bumper stickers. It's a slogan. Like I know dudes who are not at all fascists and say that because they're like new dads and they're horrified at the but like the whole like the core of it is this right wing. And, and it kind of started off in like the sort of libertarian gun nut communities, but it's 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 really used a lot as sort of, it's a group that you can talk about doing anything to. You can talk about killing, you can like fetishize murdering, um, and if you can then like define other groups as inherently pedophilic, then you can do anything to them, right? Like that's the basic idea, is if you, if you get yeah. people saying, it's always okay to use vigilante violence against this group. Um, and obviously no one's going to fucking defend child molesters, but then you start making the case that people who are not in fact molesting children are somehow pedophiles or you know or somehow related to pedophiles and then suddenly it's okay to kill them. It's okay to do violence.
7: Again. Massive social groups
4: like yeah. all of gay and trans people. So yeah. if
7: if you conflate these two things, you're able to make these things represent the same like, thing in someone's mind, that makes homophobia now not a bad thing, but like a moral imperative. Like you have yeah. to be homophobic because
8: these people are grooming children. Yep. And and you you can get you get this interesting thing too which like there are people who are like not quite as far in who will do who will say you you, you, i see things a lot where it's like someone's like oh well i don't have a problem with gay people but like they shouldn't groom kids and it's like yep this is that's not what's happening bro yeah no
7: (laughs) i do you know do you know what else doesn't groom kids
4: I mean, the Washington State Highway Patrol definitely does Garrison. Right. But let me tell you, if you want somebody to groom your children, the Washington Highway S- State Highway Patrol will do that. But you know what they won't do is protect those children in the event of danger because that might endanger them. So no, well, look, look, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes,
8: right, someone is tr- someone is killing your kid and you need to get pepper sprayed. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when that time calls... You you will beg for the Washington Highway State Patrol.
4: Well, you'll beg for a different police department. But when those police get <laughs> in trouble because of their failure to act, then the Washington State Highway Patrol will show up to protect those cops. Anyway,
7: here's here's the ads. <laughs> we are back. Um. So as the queer people are groomers shit was reaching the most memetic and the highest rate of 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 trending that it's that it has had in in decades this past April. At the height of the recent increased wave of anti-queer legislation and anti-LGBTQ rhetoric, um, this this is when some terminally online teenagers tried to start kink at pride discourse once again. And I... I do not want to talk about this, but I've written stuff about it, so I'm going to.
8: <laughs> this was le- legitimately, when I was, like, thinking about, I, like, realized I was gay, and I was like, oh my god, I should come out, and then I would, my, like, one of the things that I spent a long time thinking about was, does this mean I have to do Can't Get Pride discourse? And this is, like, serious consideration for me. For a
7: long time, I would have said, no, of course not. I'm never going to do this. <laughs> Why no, would I do that? it live. But here we are. <laughs> so, anyway, uh... Doing kink kink at pride discourse uh, then, and even still now, while the anti-queer onslaught is accelerating at the highest pace it's had in years, uh, sure seems to be like dumping fuel in the fire. Uh, what's up with that, kids? Why? Uh, so anyway, uh, the discourse itself revolves around whether uh, kink apparel or paraphernalia uh, render the pride space unsafe for minors or quote-unquote non-consensual observers. Uh... (laughs) heavy, heavy quotation marks there, by the way. Uh, but also it is heavily rooted in assimilationist and respectability politics and a push for LGBTQ people to be seen as, uh, more acceptable or more normal while still existing in a heteronormative society. Um, and now obviously I'm not a fan of this discourse happening in the first place, especially now, like, why are you doing it now during all the groomer stuff? Stop it. That's, Stop it! Don't do that! Quit it! Why are you doing this? Uh, but first of all, I also want to point out how this entire discourse runs on the same train of thought that fuels all of this groomer stuff in the first place. It it it's, it's picking at the same part of human brains. So here's I'm I'm gonna read this post that went super vital about a month ago that that sparked that sparked the new wave of this uh, much, much frustrated discourse. Quote, LGBTQ youth being uncomfortable with kinks at Pride is not homophobia. Kinks at Pride might have been fine if this was still the 1900s, where adults were the only ones attending Pride. But it's not the 1900s anymore. And now kids are way more involved in celebrating our identities. The celebrating our identities part there is really important. And we'll, we'll talk about this more soon. But Lar- largely in the past like 20 years, there's been this shift with queerness and sexual orientation being less about who you fuck and more like a personality aspect or a social identity with a branded aesthetic. Um, it's it's this, it's like it's it's which is in some ways good, like it, it's some ways good that people are more able to express themselves however they want, but you know, kids at school aren't getting bullied for being gay anymore, uh, which again is good
5: well less Uh,
8: than they were
7: they're they're getting bullied less somewhat depending on where you live yeah but it's also kind of it's made people forget the whole like uh like gays bash back or gays don't bash back but shoot first like it's forgot we don't have that. that's not as a core component of queerness anymore because queerness is now able to be kind of more safe and sanitized uh and it's it's a right. It's like it's and it's 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 a personal identity in a way that it's n- it's not just about who you fuck anymore. It's like this like personal identity aspect, um, which I'm not saying is bad. It's just that there's this thing that's happened that's changed the way we talk about sexual orientation. Hey, quick pause. This is Garrison from the future here, just popping in to clarify a bit on what I mean regarding this note on identities and identifying as various shades of queer. What I'm getting at is that, when observing some of the baby queers around my age, or maybe a bit younger, queerness is seen as a more available option for young people when putting together their personality or sense of self, and more separated from the nitty-gritty details of who you fuck, now that queerness is generally more tolerated. Now, don't get me wrong, I do like the idea of being free to choose queerness, in in many ways i consider myself as having chosen to be gay the thing about framing that as your quote unquote personal identity as opposed to simply choosing to be what you are is that the former lets you wield that quote unquote identity against other people or other queer people that disagree with you it's it's this thing where queerness is filtered through the lens of brands and like brand recognition which is definitely made worse by social media, dating apps, personal profiles, and personal bios. And it's part of this cultural push to, like, have everyone create their own personal brand. And, like, I don't want to identify as genderqueer. I just am genderqueer. I don't identify as gay. I just like catboys, therefore I am gay. It's a different ontological framing. And one that I think is less susceptible to heteronormative assimilationist ideas and like the capitalist marketing to queerness as a brand or as a market demographic. If your queerness is a personal identity that's more sanitized, more approachable for a heteronormative society, then you get to use your identity to attack gay people whose queerness is more based in deviant sexuality and alternative communities. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna read a, 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 the the follow up tweet to this to this thing that sparked the new discourse. Quote: Not even all LGBTQ adults are comfortable with seeing kinks at Pride. There's nothing from there's nothing stopping you guys from adjusting or having after events strictly for adults who want to partake in that. Y'all need to adjust so that every LGBTQ person feels comfortable attending. So let's let us let us just do some like queer history here for a sec. Uh, the, the first Pride was a riot um, on, on, on on that night in June in 1969, uh, nice, uh, the police raided the, uh, Stonewall Inn, uh, one of the largest private, private gay clubs in the U.S. at the time. The patrons of the bar, uh, you know, trans women of color, homeless queer teens, drag queens, lesbians, and leather daddies fought back, uh, lots of trans teenagers, uh, threw bricks at cops, and, like, a fair number of those trans teenagers were also sex workers, uh, kink including you know like leather daddies and lots of aspects that we now view as as like kink or BdSM has been a part of pride since its literal inception like way back in 1969 um and while like while drag isn't considered kink now in 2022 it still is considered sexually deviant but back in like the 20th century, uh, in in you know in in 1969, New York City still had laws that prohibited cross-dressing. So drag used to be way more kinky than it is now, uh, and like basically all queer sex used to be unacceptable kink. And
4: many yeah, it was ass- illegal. It was literally yeah, or, illegal, or just a crime. And yeah, it many- was a crime in Texas until. Like 2003. The year I, like, the, I think the law like was right, the right around when I graduated high
7: school. 2003 <laughs> was when the Supreme Court said also, that it, it's no longer an, an enforceable law. Also, in it state might go of back Texas, to being it's illegal, illegal
4: What well, And it's illegal, to, it's still illegal to own more than five dildos. Yeah, I, is it six up. or is it five? I think it's five, but it might be six.
7: So, like, all queer sex used to be unacceptable kink, and many logistical aspects of gay fucking used to happen in public. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna quote an article from them.us. Quote, For some people, gay rights and gay liberation do not hinge on particulars of sexual desire. For years, I've heard that we aren't just our erotic identities. But for many of us, it does begin there, and it does revolve around the ways we organize our erotic choices. Before LGBTQ plus people had pride parades, our community spaces were not just bars, but cruising spots like bathhouses, dungeons, and public restrooms. It should be no surprise that many queer folks find their sex lives and their sense of community to be intertwined. BDSM, subversive sexuality, and leather culture have enjoyed a long history within the LGBTQ rights movement. They are inherent expressions of queer culture and sexuality. Being free to signal your sexuality out in the open within a queer context is the entire point of pride. So, like, all of this discourse around pride and kink of pride reflects a modern but regressive idea that sexuality is inherently damaging to see, experience, or think about in a public context, especially if that sexuality is inherently queer. And there's this other idea that we see a lot of in this type of discourse, and it's mirrored a little bit with, like, the groomer stuff, too, that if you see someone quote-unquote, engaging in kink, and like in the case of Pride, that's like what? Wearing a collar, a harness, or a pup mask? That just the act of observation is somehow a violation of consent. Uh, And it's really frustrating because indication of sexuality in a non-vanilla sense while in public is not a violation of consent. Like, I didn't consent, quote-unquote, consent to see the Rainbow Cops, Right. (laughs) But public indication of sexuality is not a consent violation. And again, indicating sexuality is like the entire point of pride. Weaponizing quote-unquote consent to call out people that we see but don't interact with who are quote-unquote dressed too sexual in our own mind is bad for multiple reasons. It also potentially dilutes legitimate claims of non-consent in cases of actual sexual violence. And it's it's like this thing, like if you look at someone in a pup mask, there is no consent violation there. That's a really weird thing that people that people talk about. And it's not it's not like I, I'm not trying to start fights on the Internet uh with like these tender queer children um because like and I, I don't want anyone to find like these like, you know, months old posts and start harassing these people. But that post has like over 30,000 likes and thousands and thousands and thousands of retweets. And it basically just repeats, like, old queer bashing talking points that conflate kink and queer visibility with public sex that endangers children. And, like, conflating gays being visible and semi-clothed with being, like, dangerous to children are the same talking points that it gets used for book bans, conversion therapy, and the don't say gay bills, right? This idea that if you look at a gay person shirtless that's dangerous to a kid that's the same that's the same underlying motivation that fuels all of this gruber discourse uh it's 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 the whole thing where it's like i'm okay with gay people i just don't want to see it right it's like th- th- that 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 idea in and of itself is like is is still like exists on that you know i didn't consent to look at it t- type of thing uh you know there's, there's this this is other other tweet from somebody being like Forcing people to see kinky stuff without consent is really weird. I'm sorry, but I don't want pup masks at pride events for families. I saw that shit in real life, and it made me uncomfortable. Don't involve other people in their kinks if, if they don't consent. And, like, looking at someone in a mask isn't involving you in any of these kinks. You're, if you're looking also, at someone like, in a leather mask, that, like if that makes you uncomfortable, that that's your problem, you not anyone else's? You don't have a
4: right to not be uncomfortable with how people look or are in public look every time i go out into the world i see something that makes me uncomfortable um i see a lot of people with children now do i think it should be legal to have children no yes but we it do is. i do think that it should be it should be illegal exactly so i like look we all have to deal with things that make us uncomfortable look um, we,
8: like we, we have a clear solution here the, the 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 way to deal with events not being family friendly is to get rid of families
4: that's exactly right we have to eliminate the concept of the family
8: yeah, come and, on, come on. come. Communist Manifesto was what this is one oh one shit, people.
4: We can, oh, you we can were, you do were, this. You were you were quoting from the Communist Manifesto, huh? Okay, that's interesting. That's that's not where I got it from.
7: <laughs> but I, I feel like I feel like a lot of these people, many of them like young teens, who are complaining about being forced to look at quote unquote inappropriate things at Pride, have never actually been to a pride. Yeah. Because <laughs> most of most of modern pride is like really sanitized and chill. Like it's like it is it is overrun with corporate sponsors, politicians, and cops. like you you are you you are way more likely to see armed police at like a pride mm-hmm. march than you're then you'll be likely to see like tits or like gags or whatever. like most i
4: it's funny to me because like I started going to these, and this is before. The internet was what it was or moral panics were what they were. But like in Texas, I would go to these events where there would be people of all ages and families. These are like little burning regions. People would be like at like uh, on the big night when people are doing like the fire shows and the fireworks stuff, people would be like fucking and like manning flamethrowers like while having (laughs) sex. There, There were like, there was a whole chunk of it that was just like the kink row and you could walk down it and watch people get like whipped and fuck a Sibian and stuff. It was just like- I don't remember any of this fucking – like, the only discourse was like, well, okay, we should probably, like, make sure that people know where that kind of stuff mainly happens so that, like, they don't have to walk around it if they don't want to. But, like, it was – But, yeah,
7: it's, like, this idea that, like, yeah. s- not even full nudity, but, like, mm-hmm. semi-nudity within a queer context is inherently more dangerous to children if it's in a queer context than a straight context, right? We have all of these – even, like, queer kids can, like complaining online like- about being forced to see things – at pride just like they would see way more skin if they went to like a beach in the summer. Like it's, it's, it, it's it revolves on the same homophobic idea that like, if, if, if you look at these things in a queer context, that is like more adult than looking at it within a straight context.
4: Yes. Um, it's, I don't know. Frustrating. And like, and, and,
7: and it's frustrating. And like and, and another, another reason why that I think many of these like baby leftist tender queers are who are who are crusading against kink at pride and complaining about like leather and or like sexy underwear um lots of them even uh first of all most of them i think lots of them haven't been to pride because there hasn't really been pride for the past two years and lots of these people are like 15 years old um but a lot of them also just like admit to never be going to pride because they're too terrified to see a pup mask like, they openly say, like, I'm, I've am i never been because I had, don't want to see these things. I'm like, sure, you're allowed to do that. But then don't make, don't, like, <laughs> don't campaign against King yeah, of Pride, which but, will look, result in your posts getting used by, uh, like, homophobic trolls and bigots. I don't go 30, to Chicago likes.
4: because I don't want to see a deep dish pizza, but I don't try to ban them. Like, like I understand time, that that's the thing you people like.
7: Like, the first time I saw Pup Mask was at fucking Comic-Con. Like, it's like, like, like it's not, you don't see, like, banned pup masks from Comic-Con. Like, what? Like, these these people, like, these kids are are basing their fears off of, like, a few viral photos that are often shared in a disingenuous context. Now, we'll we'll talk about these photos in a bit. But, you know, these, these people are, like, 15 years old, have never been to Pride, and are just, like, simply terrified of like actual sexuality. Like they, they enjoy, they, they engage with queerness as like a personal identity and stuff. But once they get into like the nitty gritty of like sex, that makes them really uncomfortable because they're teens because they're kids that that's okay. You can be uncomfortable with sex. That makes sense. That is, that is appropriate for your age, but then don't make your entire online presence about trying to shut down this massive aspect of queer history. Um, Cause like the kinky stuff that I've seen at pride, is yeah on par with what you see at Comic Con. I often will see more more nudity at Portland's Comic Con than I than I will at any of the Pride events I've been to. Um, like all all of the more like openly like f- fetish folks or kinky folks are really responsible and act pretty appropriately at Pride. And and the people who like say otherwise online generally just have not actually been to Pride in their entire life, because um, like this. Complaining about, quote unquote, like inappropriate fetishes or like kinky conduct is basically code for I am uncomfortable with you being positive about the way you view sex, and I want you to not show it, and I want you to not and I want you to not talk about it, which is the same underlying thought process that people use to be homophobic. it's the it's the exact same thing. Um, now, a, a lot of this discourse oversimplifies kink and BdSM. Um, right, queerness can be about can be about love. It can be about it can be about sexual attraction, um, and both, uh, or sometimes uh, for like asexual people, the in lacking one or the other um, or both. Uh, but but by that same token, right, kink, leather, and BDSM aren't all exclusively about sex. Right? To a large extent, they're also about community building, um, and I just think these these like earnest think of the youth arguments are very silly because uh, even when it comes to youth. Because if you're uncomfortable with things, that's totally fine, but in a lot of cases, like queer teenagers also have sex uh, generally with other queer teenagers, sometimes even in a kinky context, and that's okay. Pride is about celebrating everyone's individual ability to do that and i I don't like it when when people just rehash old homophobic talking points to to and especially during during all of this all of this groomer discourse because <sighs> A key key part of key part of kink, a key part of like queer sex is is uh is consent. And once you start you start conflating what consent is by saying that me looking at you wearing a collar is a violation of consent. Once you start undermining what consent actually means, that's like not a good thing. It's actually not a that is actually a bad thing, especially right now during all of the dur- during all of the, all of all of the groomer stuff. So that is we are we've gone kind of over on on time here. Um, but uh, we're gonna make we're gonna make this a two-parter in, in the next episode we'll talk a bit more about like tender queers and we'll actually get into the the plans of Operation Pride fall and talk about how we kind of got to this point because man, there's a lot of kids sharing uh, sharing pictures online and oh boy, do those pictures originate in some uh, dubious dubious places um, so that, that that does it for us today. We will we will see you tomorrow um, Pride's fun we should not police what other people do. So yeah. Anyway.
4: Bye. Bye.
1: LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here.
9: Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer.
7: welcome back to get happen here this is part two of our discussion on operation pride fall and the kinket, kinket pride discourse and the groomer stuff and how they all combine in this really horrifying really way that i wish they didn't because it's pretty frustrating so uh last episode i i talked towards the end i i i talked a decent amount about tender queers um and I I actually would like would like to define this term here um, and kind of get into why these why these people are boosting these specific like talking points that are just kind of regurgitate old types of homophobic stuff. They claim it doesn't, but like it does. You're using this exact same logic, you're just kind of reframing it. So tender queers are this this the type of like they're kind of like an in-joke for like the queer community of this like personality type. Generally, the, the tender queers are like a you know typically a Gen Z or a millennial queer, more likely to be like femme, uh, whether that be like a woman, non-binary or femme person, uh, l- lesbians, uh, you know femme bisexuals, pansexuals, or like queer soft boys. Kind of, they feature this like combination of personality designation and aesthetic, and they're known for being especially adept at using like watery language of therapy as a means to like get out of most things. Um, everything's about like holding space and healing and intimacy. And it's like, it's wrapped up in this like jovial pastel bubbly package, right? If you throw in some astrology, some like corduroy overalls, shaved heads and round glasses, and you got yourself like a basic tender queer. And a little quote here from an author named uh, Daisy Jones from an, an, an article that they made quote just like the straight soft boy who uses performative sensitivity to get away with being a little shit sometimes, so does the tender queer. Que- <laughs> tender queer generally uh, refers to a trope in the queer community of a queer person who presents themselves as being sensitive, hyper vocal of their feelings, sometimes thought of as prioritizing feelings and hyper intentional language over uh, their own harm and privilege. So they, 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 they kind of use like identity politics to avoid accountability There's like this um, competitive oppression and self-victimization. They 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 center themselves and their feelings in social or political movements that aren't necessarily about them. They they kind of they prioritize ineffective methods of self-care. They utilize like gaslighting and dumping the emotional labor of dealing with your own self uh, onto onto others. Like tender queers are kind of they're, they're known to like mask toxicity. And manipulativeness in the performative language and aesthetics of, of social justice. They have this like performative soft hypersensitivity and use identity politics to kind of uh, call out or avoid things that make them uncomfortable, and will like pup- and will publicly declare those things as problematic in, a, in an attempt to force others to conform with their own will. So that's why I describe a lot of these like younger younger teens um, who. Who use these talking points against against quote unquote kink at pride as tender queers because like they're they're people who are really sensitive about what makes them comfortable and they avoid any they try to avoid or campaign against anything that makes them uncomfortable. And they use all these like performative turns of phrase and talking points to to avoid having actual discussions about it it's this like weaponization of their marginalized identity as a shield to avoid accountability or to deflect against people challenging them for abusive behavior or in, in the, in the, in like the pride case, this like internalized homophobia. Uh, there's, there's the, uh, these little, little, uh, tweet exchange for some, from some people on the super viral, uh, kick a pride post from a month ago. Um, I'm 14, and I don't want to see a half-naked person in leather straps and a gag at an event I take my family to. And someone replied, like, Try glancing at a Mardi Gras or even a public beach before you apply homophobic double standards. And then they, this, the poster replied, You think I'm homophobic? I'm literally a trans non-binary lesbian? So again, this is... This is <laughs> So this is, this is what I mean when I, when I, when I, when I talk about to queers, right there, someone's calling them out for applying this homophobic d- double standard on how they view like public semi-nudity, right? Not even like full nudity, just like how they view public semi-nudity, like a bikini or something. Right. And then the, they respond by saying, I'm literally a trans non-binary lesbian. Um, and then went on to say, also people at those don't wear kink shit, and it's why I don't go to Mardi Gras or large public beaches. It makes me uncomfortable. Seeing a bunch of adults in kink shit being sexual just physically makes me ill. People at Mardi Gras and public beaches don't act
4: sexual or wear kink shit. And so, like, <sighs> I feel like you haven't been to Mardi Gras, but that's just outside I like, of the point. You will
7: see way more skin at a public beach. Most kink shit requ- like, requires covering your body and a lot of extra stuff. Like, if you're wearing a harness or, like, a latex full leather outfit, you're, like, showing way less skin than someone wearing a Speedo or a bikini. So maybe you're just uncomfortable with people expressing their sexuality, which in case, don't go to Pride, because that's what Pride's all about. That's the entire put. But yeah, the whole whole point, like, I'm literally a trans non-binary lesbian. Like, that's, like, such a perfect encapsulation of what the tender queer kind of trope is um and like not 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 many people like self self identify as as tender queers it's kind of this joke that the more kind of punky uh, queer community has kind of it's like an we're we're putting a label on this this behavioral trend that we've observed and it's it's kind of a joke right i'm not trying to call out specific people i'm not if if you are soft and emotional and sensitive cool whatever do, do whatever you want i'm fine just don't Don't use these things as a shield to justify forcing your will onto other people.
4: It's cool to not, it's totally fine to like, not like people being publicly affectionate or like doing public, like it's perfectly fine to be uncomfortable with that. It's perfectly like, that doesn't mean anything bad. It doesn't mean you're a prude. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you, but like, there's nothing wrong with people wanting to be public with that at a public event celebrating the fact that it's they are now less oppressed for doing that thing like yeah or or a beach or mardi gras
7: and like make sure you're cognizant if you're engaging in any kind of like socially normalized ideas of like straight stuff is inherently less sexual than gay stuff right i always i mean i advocate people being able to like Get into their own head and figure out why they think certain things. Like this, it's it's this like idea of uh, meta thought, trying trying to think about why you think about things. Um, so if you if you're if you're more uncomfortable with two men kissing than you are with what, then one man and a woman kissing, you should think about that. You should be like even even as like even as a trans non-binary lesbian, if you if you if you, if, you, if you're more com- if you're more uncomfortable looking at two men kiss. You should think about why, why, what social conditioning has caused this to happen, because that's something that people have been pushing for a long time is that, yeah, gay stuff is like more adult or more mature than queer stuff. I think that's a big part of 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 these types of things being at pride is like pushing back on that idea. Um, So, like, I think and the reason why we, we see more of these now is like there are these baby tender queers who grew up in a world where you were less likely to get fucking assaulted for being gay. While also growing up on the internet in the age of Tumblr and, and Instagram, right? These kids were able to construct their own comfortable, safe-bubbled versions of reality online, only being exposed to what they want, when they want, right? They get, they, they get to only view it things that they find aesthetically pleasing. Uh, and the pandemic certainly heightened this, right? With people being forced to solely exist in their self-catered online worlds. So now with the outside world opening up, some of these soft, baby, tender queers are going through puberty and are dealing with their quote unquote uncomfy feelings, um, and the added notion of being exposed to things that you have specifically not sought out, like that, that causes them to be uncomfortable, right? If if you're if you're if you're a femi person who's just attracted to uh, to other femi people, having to having to look at dudes be affectionate may not be your cup of tea, but and you may not like enjoy it, but that's like. It's just as queer as you are, so you shouldn't. You can't prioritize your queerness over somebody else's. It's 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 like there's this collection of baby gays that gets uncomfortable being reminded that people, like especially people whom they are not personally attracted to uh have sex it's like if they're reminded that this happens and they don't like it um it's like it, it feels like they have this sort of like anxiety just about about just looking at something that they perceive as sexual in nature right and for this for, for them this includes other but differently queer people wearing leather or being semi-nude like dudes being shirtless or women being shirtless for like i think that that's a whole other double standard that should be uh pushed back upon um But like, again, it's pride's not any more naked than people at the beach. Uh, So you're not it's not actually it. They're very selective in the types of things that they that they will that that they will focus on. And it it plays into this notion that's used by all like anti-gay legislation that gayness is inherently more sexual than being straight. Right. It's 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 more sexual. It's more mature. It's more adult Uh, because for a long time uh, being gay was exclusively seen as like a hypersexual deviant act. Um, and now, especially among Gen Z baby queers, uh, being queer is now less tied to specifically the act of sex, right? Queerness is much more of an like an overarching personal I- identity now, especially as it, like as it intersects with like gender and stuff, right? You know, whether that be non-binary, other stuff, other stuff like pansexual, bisexual, what have you. But to kind of s- circle back to the kink at Pride stuff, People want us dead for being queer. Uh, it doesn't fucking matter if someone's parading around in a collar. If you're uncomfortable, you should maybe learn to fight. Actually, fight back against the people who actually want to kill you. Like, pride was a riot. You should you should sort out your uncomfy feelings elsewhere, or direct your or direct your uncomfy feelings at the people attacking us. So maybe maybe you don't prop up kink at pride discourse when uh, accusations of queer people being all groomers is that is that an all time high? And there's fascists organizing to like shoot us at pride marches so maybe consider that before you do discourse on twitter.com i'm going to do one little quote and then we will have an ad break I'm uh, just going to end this section with a quote from uh, them.com again quote kinks sex and protest are all inherent parts of pride one of the core tenets of pride is liberation and working against cultural shaming calling to quote not perform your kinks and fetishes at pride because some minors are there and kink can, quote, sexualize the event, unquote, uh, implies that celebrating sexuality and kink is openly bad, and normalizing these things should be a goal of pride. BDSM, subversive sexuality, and leather culture have enjoyed a long history within the LGBTQ rights movement, and such public displays of sexuality are driven by much more than libido or countercultural impulses. They're an inherent expression of queer culture and queer sexuality, and as such, deserve a place at pride as much as anything else. Okay, and now it's time to actually get into what the title of these episodes is about. uh the Operation Pride Fall stuff we're gonna talk about this thing that sucks um so whether you're looking at the conservative groomer discourse or the tender queer Kink at Pride discourse, you'll see a lot of the same logic as well as a lot of the same photos we've We've talked a lot about memes on the show, and i i'm not going to get I'm not going to get into like the powder memes very much right now. Uh, but suffice to say that, um, like a picture can stick in your head a lot easier than a bunch of words can. Um, and throughout the groomer and kick it pride shit, there are a few select photos that people use to demonstrate their opinions on how gay people are a threat to children. Um, either, either there's just pictures of adults in like kink associated garb, usually like full latex body suits or pup masks. Um, or uh, and there's these like, specifically like uh, uh, there's these two specific pictures of kids just like standing next to adults who are wearing pup masks that get used a lot. There's also there's also a lot of pictures of like drag queen story time, and whenever whenever I see any of these very specific pictures, I flash back to when I first came across the original Operation Pridefall 4chan thread back in 2020 because these are actually all of all of the exact same pictures. Um. So, Operation Pridefall was a cyber harassment campaign started on 4chan targeting the degeneracy of the LGBTQ community by attempting to sway public opinion against queer people by linking being gay to grooming and pedophilia. So, checking back in in 2022, oh boy! <laughs> Oh boy, <laughs> has has things happened. So initially organized on 4chan, Discord, and Telegram right before Pride Month, the campaign set out targets and methods to flood the social media platforms of gay venues, Pride sponsors, and LGBTQ people or supporters with spam, anti-gay memes, and uh, media, usually photos, intended to imply a link between being openly queer and the grooming of children uh, and operating online under the banner of Operation Pridefall. The, the campaign started on May 10th, 2020, when an anonymous 4chan poster uh, posted a thread on poll outlining Operation Pridefall, uh, which was uh, pitching it as a crowdsourced campaign aimed at damaging the LGBTQ community during the month of June of, in 2020. The plan centered around, quote-unquote, red-pilling users in the comments sections of companies that support L- LGBTQ causes on social media. Uh the, the, the 4chan post read, quote, Every June, hundreds of massive corporations band together to smother social media in posts in flavor of Pride Month, a code word for the degeneracy that is LGBT activism. Many of these accounts are rather small and get very little engagement, yet they continue to post without backlash. Beginning on June first, the goal of Operation Pridefall is to get on Twitter, Instagram, etc and drop a shit ton of disturbing red pills on homosexuality on the comments of the lesser-known pages. The bigger pages are okay targets, but posts tend to get unnoticed in the sea of other comments. Commenting on smaller pages, ones with less than 100 likes and so, means anyone who views it will see the posts, and companies will reconsider their pro-Pride posts afterwards." Unquote. So, if you scroll through the archived uh, initial like, Pride Fall thread, You'll see a crowdsourced collection of pictures that they intend to flood the internet with, uh, under like in the comments section of posts discussing pride or discussing LGBTQ activism or whatever. Um, so in this in this like crowdsourced collection of photos, we see a lot of drag queen storytime stuff, but many of these pictures and memes are now the same ones used both in the recent groomer thing and in the past two years of kink at pride discourse. It's it's the exact it's the exact same photos. Um, it's, it's there's like there's there's hundreds of them. There's hundreds of, of photos of like you know people in pup masks, whatever, like waving waving pride flags. It's it's just there's a lot there's a lot of them, and the specific ones get used for so much of the groomer shit, uh, and it, they really started to gain much more visibility during twenty twenty after the Operation Pride Fall thing got launched. The Operation Pridefall 4chan thread also instructed users on how to set up uh, fake phone numbers, to make burner accounts, to to comment on these on these social media pages. Um there's an- another really interesting part that the Operation Pridefall planning stuff uh detailed was uh on on uh, on Discord, on the Operation Pridefall uh, servers and channels, we, the users were planning to repurpose cringey TikTok videos while relabeling them with anti-LGBTQ captions and hashtags. Uh, here's, a, here's a quote from their, from their, from their planning, planning Discord. An additional idea, we can redpool Zoomers on TikTok and literally build a fucking puppet army to fuck the shit out of millennials. We should expand this operation to as many social media outlets as possible in order to maximize effort. Let's operate like this. On TikTok, convince any Gen Z sibling or relatives to do some kind of shitty jester, charade slash horror dance, and then add LGBTQ critical captions on top of it and repost it under trending hashtags. So you see elements of this exact strategy mirrored one year later in libs of TikTok by getting videos of people being, I don't know, Kids and like kind of cringy because kids are kind of cringy. But videos of kids on TikTok and mischaracterizing, you know, TikTok videos and adding, adding LGBTQ talking points on top of them uh, to sway the public opinion of queer people. It's the it's the exact same strategy. As a, a similar idea was also implemented alongside setting up fake dating app profiles to not only spread their anti-gay kind of grooming memes but also to farm viral content by catfishing gay people and getting them to like be in embarrassing interactions. Uh, n- another quote uh, on tinder bumble and grinder set up fake profiles with legit convincing images and descriptions that criticized lgbt so it's this it's a, trying to catfish queer people and like then i guess spam them with pictures of these like grooming memes um and see what their reaction is then post it right it's so the, the, the whole operation Pridefall strategy might appear pretty simple right it's like basically glorified shitposting. posting Setting up a bunch of fake sock puppet accounts and demonizing queer people in the comment section of small corporations and influencers, but there definitely is a lot more to it than that, right? There was there was this element of like planned escalation, starting off first as like appearing as reasonable commenters, right, acting in very good faith, just as somebody concerned by kids being exposed to to sexual materials, whether that be you know people in drag at a library reading books or people at a pride parade, right. So instead of immediately going on, like, full 100% gay bashing, uh, saying that we should, you know, kill all deviant trans people, uh, which a lot of conservative commentators just say now, like Elijah Schaefer, who just posts memes about wanting to kill trans kids. um, these, these, These bored fascists on 4chan tried to coordinate a slow, more insidious approach, which they would hope would just gradually turn the tide of public opinion against queer people. Here's a here's a snippet from one of the Pridefall organizing chats quote keep it normy palatable and friendly this means no Nazi or Hitler shit the goal is to make them question whether what they're supporting is really the right thing so as 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 Pride Month progressed the the as the Pridefall participants coordinated on four chan Discord and Telegram to slowly increase the frequency and intensity of the campaign uh, another quote from the organizing chat quote. Think about it as waves. Day one is simply questioning homosexuality. And Then, as the days goes on, it will get worse and worse until the end of Pride Month. So, uh, in, in terms of physical things, they actually had. Uh, I believe Operation Pride Fall resulted in a few gay events getting shut down. There was like this uh, event at I think it was it was like a like a at a queer nightclub in the UK that got shut down. There was a few other like like obvious like like material. Uh, uh, results that, that they had by doing this harassment campaign against venues and corporations, but I think they're just they were more successful in first of all spreading specific memetic mim- images that are now commonly used in the grooming stuff and in the kink of pride stuff. Some some of which these images were not really used in discourse before, but now are commonplace. I think that that's really where more of this idea succeeded. So o- over the course of the month, they they will want to get more regular people to start associating members of the LGBTQ community with pedophilia, and in, in, in order to do that, the the way they see it is by just gradually shifting this discussion, uh, and then as public opinion uh, alters, they hope that brands will distance themselves from the LGBTQ community and stop doing more more pride shit. Um, right, it's like that was that was a, a, another big part of what their intention was and they may not have done all that stuff immediately like they may not may not have succeeded in that but they definitely did succeed in the prevalence of the images that they were trying to intentionally spread because that absolutely has happened do you know who else loves uh implanting ideas into your brain that's 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 right the the products and services that sponsor this podcast
4: go go bu- go
7: buy their product or Get a job <laughs> at one of the <laughs> you know you know what I'm talking about anyway. here's here's the ads. and we are we are back. wasn't wasn't it fun reading about Operation Pridefall? Didn't that just bring bring joy to your ears? I'm um, so happy me it's too. Joy to so many um,
4: parts of me. yeah.
7: So as we mentioned, a, a big part of their attempts to sway public opinion. It's by spamming photos and memes that attempt to showcase just how dangerous gay people are to children. Whether that be drag queens doing story time at a library, photos of of gay people doing quote unquote kink at Pride. Um, you know, basically, basically they're trying to say how could any reasonable person or corporation support Pride? It's essentially a grooming parade, right? That that's the that's the thing that they were trying to implant and one of the things that operation pridefall was successful in was popularizing a few of these kinket pride photos many of which were then subsequently used last year during kinket pride discourse um and used this year as well uh, most mostly by some some like anti-sex people on the left um, and some of these young tender queers uh, and you know the this the, the same photos are used in grooming stuff and in pridefall stuff and kink, and kinket pride stuff because it's the same basic psychology at play, right? The, the idea that sexuality in a queer sense is dangerous and way more deviant than sexuality in a heterosexual context. Right, like straight people kissing is rated G, gay, gay people kissing is rated PG or PG-13. Uh, it's, it's, it's that idea, but accelerate it. <laughs> uh, another correlation between the openly homophobic groomer talking points and like the tender queer stuff is, is, this, is this idea that I'm only comfortable seeing expressions of sexuality that I can relate to or also find attractive. And another interesting thing about a, a lot of these photos is that a lot of these photos that they use aren't actually photos of pride. A, yeah. a, lot, of, a lot of the photos <laughs> that they use are actually from the Folsom Street Fair, which is like a kink oh, festival. that takes yes, place in San Francisco every year. <laughs> um, and
4: it is... And, Hard to exaggerate how horny the Folsom Street Fair is.
7: <laughs> so it's very horny, but also obviously because gay people have sex, gay people also exist at the Folsom Street Fair. Um, they may even uh, wave a pride flag. Shocking. Um, so <laughs> a lot of these photos that 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 they use in the grooming stuff and in the Kink Pride stuff are actually from the Folsom Street Fair. They're not actually photos of Pride parades. Um, <laughs> it's. <laughs> And, it's, it's, and of course, anyone who's been to Pride would kind of know that because Pride is not like the Folsom Street Fair. <laughs> they are very different events. And that's another good indicator of how a lot of these people who prop up this discourse online have never been to Pride either because they're sharing photos at the Folsom Street Fair and saying it's Pride. Um, obviously, lots of these Nazis on 4chan have never been to the Folsom Street Fair or Pride. Uh but they, they also share these same photos because, hey, it's it's people who look gay doing sexual things in public. That means it's at Pride and it's a danger to children, even though a lot of them are actually at the Folsom Street Fair. Um, so if then if if you're a queer person and you're reposting these Folsom Street Fair pictures and claiming to be fr- and claiming that they're from a Pride parade uh, to bash like kink at Pride stuff. Uh reconsider that because you're basically just doing the work that neo-Nazis wants to do. Uh, just, you're just doing it on your own time, right? Like it's you're repurposing the exact same photos that they were that they were putting out there within this context and just not even not even knowing where these where these where these pictures are from. Um so stop. Stop that. <laughs> Con- consider not. Uh <laughs> if if you have to like if if you're gonna go to all of this work to denounce queer people for, like, existing, maybe you should consider why you're doing that. Because wow, that that sucks. Because calling the Folsom Street Fair a Pride Parade and then demonizing it because, and then, and then and then demonizing Pride because there's people who act like pretty kinky is not not great. Because that's not what anything is happening. You're, none of none, none of that is accurate. So. That's it's really frustrating to look at to look at the, all of all of the ways these things, these things combined, because you get you get intended queers sharing Folsom Street Fair pictures. You get conservative politicians sharing them, all calling them pride stuff but Again, like a lot of the stuff you see there isn't even like a lot of them isn't like a lot of the pictures don't even have like full nudity. um So that's not necessarily like. It's not, it's not even super important. But it's you're conflating these these things in a really disingenuous way, and you're just repeating the exact same things that Nazis have been trying to get you to repeat for years, and you should consider why that happens. So, all of the grooming stuff obviously has gotten has gotten worse in the in the past few months. Uh, definitely d- definitely ballooned around the around the don't say gay bill, and this this got tied into a whole bunch of stuff happening in Florida with the Disney corporation. And a lot of the grooming stuff got tied to conservatives attacking Disney now um, and calling Disney a grooming organization. Uh, we've had we've had far right candidates show up in front of in front of Disney World to do protests. We've had Nazis show up in front of Disney World to do protests. We've seen a lot of mega people show up at Disney World to do protests, um, all against Disney's grooming of children by including anything not straight in any of their materials which is already like so little
8: um which is also like just extremely funny of like imagining you bring walt disney walt disney and he's like what is it (laughs) come on man like guys we're all on the same side here (laughs) like
7: yeah and like i don't know like do you i don't know if i really actually think that like do do all these all these people actually think that millions of teachers, Democrats, corporate entertainment creators are all complicit in a in a long term planning of like to to sexually groom minors? S- some some might believe that right that that kind, of, that kind of overlaps with some QAnon stuff and the paranoia around like child trafficking, but I think. Others understand that they're kind of being hyperbolic and they're being inflammatory to get people angry and to get people like very, very like active in their in their hatred of gay people. Right. They need to old school homophobia kind of became a bad look. They need to find a new way to rebrand it. And now it's with this groomer stuff and like gay teachers, trans teachers, right. Gender identity stuff. Right. A lot of it is is now wrapped up in like trans issues. Um but I, I I want to read this quote by a a right wing writer named Rod Dreher. Oh, it, it was God, it was it was, it was it was cited in the Atlantic, <gasps> and I think it's actually a really good look uh. at how the people who are smart on the right, um, how that they are intentionally using this grooming label. Quote about the term groomers, it's usually used to describe pedophiles who are preparing innocent kids for sexual exploitation. I think it is coming to have a somewhat broader meaning. An adult who wants to separate children from a normative sexual and gender identity to inspire confusion in them and to turn them against their parents and all the normative traditions and institutions in society. It may not be specifically to groom them for sexual activity, but it is certainly to groom them to take them on a sexual-slash-gender identity at odds with the norm. Which really, God, I think I that, that, that quote, that. Yeah. that quote, really showcases what's going on in their brains there.
8: Yeah, well, and, and this is something I think like Dreer, like Rob Dreer in particular, doing this I think is is a really bad sign because there's I mean, people who don't know who Rob Dreer is, he's like a weirdo Catholic guy. Um, he's been like a right wing, like Catholic. Uh, I think he's a, a right wing Catholic sort of columnist for a long time. And like, you know, if you go back to like t- 2017, his big thing was this whole was this thing called the Benedict Option, which was basically like. Okay, so like, secular societies become corrupted. I, uh, like, Christians should just pull out of it, right, and go live with their own communities. That could be sort of like, like you know, we we like we 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 have we've, we've lost this world. We have to like create a new world in which we can live our own sort of like Christian truth or whatever. And he 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 was in this long running kind of like battle with uh, a a sort of like. I guess like openly phalangeous, kind of like openly fascists. I mean, not quite openly fascist, but like people, people who are reading uh, like, what's his name? Uh, People who are reading Schmidt and like the Nazi lawyers who were like, okay, well we, you know, instead of, as opposed to this thing of like, we're Catholics, we're going to pull back from the world. uh, Their thing was, we're going to use, we're we're going to use like the state to enforce Christian doctrine. And Dreyer had sort of like fought that. And the fact that Dreher is now just full on in this grooming shit, right? That is really bad. Yep. And and looking again, you know, if you if, if you want to go back into for history, right? Like this is this is the kind of flip that happened that brought the evangelicals into the political scene, right? Like you have this flip from like people being like, Well the rapture's coming and society's empires so we're not gonna become be politically engaged to oh, hey, look, we can use the state to just like destroy our political enemies and create the kingdom of heaven on earth. And yeah, this is this is not good. This is
7: oh. Yeah, but I think th- specifically that quote's a really good insight yeah, to how yeah, the smart conservatives who like yeah. know what they're doing, like they know it's not actual grooming, but it's it, th- th- if they can if they can use that word within the context of being like it's about getting. It's about getting kids to adopt a non-normative sexual identity. Again, it's like non-normative, right? It's, it's it's confusion in them, turning them against the institutions in society, right? All of all of these things that is that is mirrored across, lots of the groomer discourse, the of pride discourse, all this kind of stuff. It's 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 the same. It's the same thing. It's like a non-normative sexuality is more sexual than a normative sexuality. It's this whole idea man and it's not great because it's not going to stop with kids either uh it's not gonna uh we we i talked with i've talked with this a lot how how once they ban you know trans healthcare for minors they're gonna bump it up to age 25 then they're gonna bump it up to no one has it at all yep. and he, i have i got i got an update on that front um so uh if, First of all, for recent l- legislation, there's the um, Alabama felony healthcare ban for trans youth, which forcibly detransitions teens across the state. Um, that, that 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 just got enacted. And in Missouri, there's a similar bill in the works, officially titled the Save Adolescents from Experimentation Act, um, and it applies to indig- into individuals younger than 18 years old. Um, and it would it would inhibit Missouri uh, uh, physicians and healthcare providers providers and prevent them from providing gender affirming uh, health care to patients. And it turns out Missouri la- lawmakers a few weeks ago were debating the bill seeking to restrict access to gender affirming care for minors. And. And they also suggested that access to medical interventions like hormones be withheld from transgender and non-binary individuals until at least their 25th birthday during public hearing a few weeks ago in Missouri's for House Bill 2649, Lori Haynes, a psychologist, testified that she believes young adults under the age of 25 are unable to fully comprehend the dramatic and drastic and irreparable changes their body will go under if they receive gender-affirming medical treatments like puberty blockers or hormone therapies. Uh, Hayes also said that she supported uh, getting conversion therapy for trans kids.
4: Yeah, I'll bet she thinks that 18-year-olds should be able to buy... AR-15s though. Join the military. Uh, Join the military. Become a become
7: become cop. Become cops. <laughs> so it's already happening. Uh, we already have lawmakers and we have psychologists being brought in to testify that this is the case. People, they want this is going to be the next thing. They they want this to happen. Um, now I'm just just going to say, obviously, uh, a re- recent study published in the, journal of America, in, the, in the journal of the American Medical Association found that receiving gender-affirming care, including puberty pu- blockers and hormones between the ages of 13 and 20, is associated with 60% lower odds of moderate or severe depression and 73% lower are odds of suicidality. Uh, another study published late last year by the Trevor Project found that among transgender and non-binary minors, hormone therapy was associated with nearly 40% lower odds of recent depression or a suicide attempt over the last year. And a lot of the effects of puberty blockers and even hormonal replacement therapy actually are reversible and are not damaging. Um so I mean but we we all know that. Uh there's that horrible uh uh Matt Walsh trans documentary coming out soon. Oh
4: god. Yeah, um, yeah that yeah.
7: And I yeah. he, he def- I know in the trailer he he says that uh one of the drugs used to give puberty blockers to minors is also used as a chemical castration for sexual assault uh, uh, perpetrators, Uh, which is kind of true, but it's castration in the sense that you need to take the drug always for it to work. It's it's a hormone blocker. It stops testosterone from from being produced. If you go off of it, it's going to happen again. It's not a permanent castration. It's going to suppress
4: testosterone. You know what? <laughs> a, a, a popular medication for people with heart problems is also it, a highly yes. explosive compound. Oh no. Yeah, it turns well, I mean, out things yeah, can like, be used in different ways. Yeah, like like 100% of cancer
8: victims are found with dihydrogen monoxide in their system. Like So
7: but yeah, anyway, this
8: there, we're going to see like, a lot
7: of we're going to see a lot of lies about HRT coming up soon
8: because this, this Matt Walsh documentary
7: is going to be stupid, but again, he he doesn't understand the science obviously. He's a, he's a pr- propagandist. Um but the the last thing I want to talk about here is what's going to be happening in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Um so taking taking their cue from the uh the 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 I'm, I'm going to I'm quoting I'm going to quote an article here by uh Di, by Daily Costs. Uh they did a really a really really good write up. Uh David uh, Newart wrote it. Um, ah oh,
4: F- David David Newart for the record like the thing that uh, he has been this beat that that we're in, like writing about these people. David's been doing it for like thirty years. He's he's, he's, he's amazing. He's he's incredible. Yeah. yeah.
7: So I'm I'm going to I'm going to quote from him here. This is the last thing we'll 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 close with. Um, Taking a cue from the incoming tide of far right fear mongering about grooming and an LGBTQ agenda in schools and libraries. A group of Idaho biker militiamen are planning to show up to confront people celebrating pride at an event in downtown Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, in a a public park next month. Uh, Two men from the leadership of Panhandle Patriots, a militia-oriented bikers club based in northern Idaho, Justin Allen, the group's vice president, and Jeff White, its sergeant-at-arms— Uh, told a recent gathering at a church hosted by Republican State House member Heather Scott that they plan to have a gun-driven event next month in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, the same day as the city's pride celebration at a park less than a mile Mm. away, and they planned a confrontation. Um, I'm going to play a clip of
10: them announcing this. Uh, And yeah, give it a listen. These parades are government-funded. Many of you aren't aware right now, In Coeur d'Alene, on the 10th of June, there is Family Day. And in Family Day, they are promoting family values, activities, and everything. The very following day, they are having Gay Pride Day. In the very same park, the very next day, where they will be allowed to parade through all of Coeur d'Alene, drag queen dancers, education hour, making all this material available for all the kids in a park that is designed for kids. We are having an event the very same day. That very same day, we actually intend to go head-to-head with these people. A line must be drawn in the sand. Good people need to stand up. As she was talking about the repercussions, we say, damn the repercussions. Stand up. Take it to the head. Go to the fight. If you can, possibly, we know a lot of you are in Bonner. We live in Bonner County. We are fighting in multiple counties. We are asking for all of you to come stand with us. Our event is advertised as Gun to Lane because it's an anniversary of when we stood to protect our community. We're standing again to protect our community. We shifted our date to be available to go head to head with these people. They are trying to take your children. This fight is not just paper it's not just words, it's not just politicians. They have to see people standing in their face saying no more so wow,
7: that sucked uh and is entirely uh entirely expected um so the the <laughs> The meeting at this at this uh, church, read by a Republican uh, House member, was titled "The Game Plan to Remove Inappropriate Materials in Our Schools and Libraries." Uh, it was it was held at a uh, Calvary mm-hmm. Chapel uh, in a small town north of Sandpoint, Idaho. Uh, Scott has you know, a long history of associations and identifications with the far right Patriot movement, specifically in, in Idaho, and it was bad. Um... Heather Scott, the Republican state house member, um, about an hour into the night, uh, uh, Scott invited the two militia dudes up to the podium to speak, and they said that. So, yeah, it's uh, in in a flyer posted by the Panhandle Patriots advertising their planned confrontation at 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 Pride. Uh, at, at a flyer that they made shows shows a drag queen reading at a public library. And urges people to join in and standing up against the indoctrination and grooming of our children. And if you don't protect children, you are part of the problem. So, yeah, they're planning to take a whole bunch of guns the same day as a pride parade. And we'll
4: see what happens. Um, I love that that's, That we're just going to see what happens. Yeah. You know, <sighs> mm-hmm. And I Jen,
8: very incredibly deeply hope we're not reporting on the result of that. Because...
7: Yep. Yeah. So anyway, before you share can get pride discourse, think this is what happens. <laughs> this is what happens when you engage this in, in this type of rhetoric that queer sexuality is inherently more dangerous to kids because anyway, I'm sad now.
6: Mm-hmm.
7: Yeah, this isn't really an upper of, of an episode. Um you don't say. <laughs> but, but it's it is important to talk about. Yes. Um so if you're going to pride this year, Please be careful, because there's a lot of a lot of worsening attacks on queer people. Bring an IFAC. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to do this. But this but is the world should we live bring in. Bring an IFAC. Mm-hmm. Anyway, well, that does it for us today. It ha- it could happen here. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, it doesn't happen here. Um, but it could.
8: Welcome to Pick it Could happen here, a podcast about something that did happen that sucked enormously. Um, I'm Christopher Wong. I'm, I'm I'm the host. Also with me is Garrison and Sophie. Hello. We just, good morning.
6: Just really starting off positive there.
8: I uh, it's <laughs> look. <laughs> it's it's this episode. The next episode. I mean, I guess this episode kind of ends on a high note, but. That's great to hear.
6: I'm so happy.
8: I totally yeah. believe you. <laughs> I, it kind of does. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, uh, Shireen is also here. Hello.
3: Hi, sorry. My fault. Keep going. No worries. <laughs>
8: <laughs> so th- this is this is the, the 33rd anniversary of the Tiananmen Square Massacre. Um, tomorrow's episode, I think, will actually be going out on, I guess, the day that it started, kind of. It starts, like, the night of, like, June 3rd. Um... And, okay, I'm I'm curious what you two's, like, I don't know, like, received, like, cultural memory of Tiananmen is, because, I don't know, I think I got a kind of weird one, like, being from a Chinese family, but...
7: As a white Canadian, I have zero amount of my uh, <laughs> knowledge about the Tiananmen, Tiananmen Square Massacre, nor really about Tiananmen, uh, it just, yeah, that is something I never, never have really learned about.
6: Yeah, I, I know that it happened in 1989. That's Ameri- that's the American uh, uh <laughs> lesson we got on the history of that massacre is that it happened in 1989. Really mediocre.
8: Yeah. It's <laughs> okay, well, today and tomorrow we're going we're going to go well, we're, we're going to talk I think less about what happened there specifically and more about the sort of broader history that's in, but I guess let's start out. So, in some sense, there, there's there's really three Tianmans. Um there's there's the student protest that's inside Tiananmen Square itself. There's this part of Beijing, like around the squares, like a bunch of blocks are taken over by workers, and then there's a bunch of protests in other cities. And uh unfortunately we're not gonna be talking about the protests in the other cities because like Basically, nothing is known about them other than that, like, they happened, but the people who would know aren't talking. So, for some somewhat obvious reasons, um, yeah. And the students themselves, I, I think, like, the the, the the normal version of Tiananmen is like, like these, there's these students, and they're like pro democracy protesters, right? But they're way weirder than that. There's there's like this weird ideological grab bag thing going on. Um, they're, they're they're basically what they're pissed off about is that this thing is called the reform and opening like isn't going fast enough. And we should talk about what that sort of is. So reform and opening is like it's this period in China in sort of the eighties and some extent the nineties. Um, and on the one hand, you have these sort of steps to like. Ease restrictions on speech and like rehabilitate intellectuals and like allow for a broader public discourse, but the other half of it is that like they're they're bringing they're basically they're bringing markets back to China, right? And this this is a shit show in a lot of ways. If you want to hear about like the CCP reinventing debt peonage in about five years, um, go listen to my bastards episode and the poison milk scandal. It's a it's a trip. But on the other hand, you have. You know, so, so you have kind of like opening up, right? You you have just more discourse. You're they're not persecuting intellectuals again. I mean, sort of but they're so they're 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 de-persecuting the intellectuals that they had persecuted. Um, but on the other hand, you get this absolutely draconian sort of like set of crackdowns in the social sphere. You have the one-child policy. You have this like really powerful tightening of one-man rule in the factory, and you have the sort of the, the destruction of these. Formed, we'll, we'll get into this more later, but like the the sort of limited decision making capacity that workers had had in the factories, um, just is sort of dismantled, and so you see these sort of gaps beginning to form here, right? Like, on the one hand, you have these students who want market reforms to go faster. They want more freedom of speech. They like kind of want democracy, but like mostly what they want is to be in charge of the party so they can crush the sort of like bureaucracy they see as holding market reforms back and it, it it's worth noting that like a lot of these students are involved in what becomes known as neo-authoritarianism which is this sort of ideology that holds that like the strong central party should take full control of society and destroy the factions and the bureaucracy and so you know and, and that that's how you can lead development and this stuff like that stuff like neo-authoritarianism survives the protests and goes on to become like a a pretty major faction in the CCP itself in the 90s and 2000s and you know th- this is this is where things just get weird right um the student movement itself is very hierarchical, and it gets to the point where, like... By by, by the end of the student movement, they're... These, the, the student leaders are, like, kidnapping each other over, like, who has control of the microphones and, like, the stages in the square. It is, it is extremely bizarre, and... You know, in in terms of, like, the protests actually, like, inf- the, the, what the protests are trying to do is they're trying to, like, influence this factional fight inside the CCP over, like, the speed at which reformers are going to go. And this, like, it doesn't work. It's, like, stunningly ineffectual. The, the guy they're trying to defend, like, winds up getting ousted and put under house arrest for the rest of his life. So, okay, so th- those are the student protesters. But the 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 part and that the student protesters are the part of this that like everyone knows partly because some of those people escaped to Hong Kong and you know that they're, they're very influential in sort of shaping the memory there but there's also the workers that I mentioned earlier and the students basically like hate the workers um for 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 most of the time this protest is going on and this is I mean, this is months right they they literally will, they will not let any of the workers go into the in, into Tiananmen Square like, they, they, have, they have this whole system, and, like, in order to get into, like, in increasing, like, like closer to the center of the square, you have to be a student, and then if you get to the center of the square, you have to be, like, a, a member of the leadership. It's very weird. And, you know, and, and, like, one of the things the workers are trying to do is they want to carry out a general strike. And the students are like, no, absolutely not. Do not do a general strike because – largely because – okay, so if, if these people start doing a general strike, like, that's not, something that's not under our control. And – you know, okay. So th- this raises the question: like, if the relationships between the students who are at Tiananmen and the workers who are at Tiananmen are this bad, like, why are the workers even there? Um, and and there's a few answers to this question. The the sort of the simplest and most immediate one is that like, the workers are initially they come out because they're pissed. They they see how badly like the 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 cops and sort of like the party is is treating the students in the square, and so they get mad. But but there, but there's there's other stuff going on too. The, the late '80s is the eighties in China is sort of a mess economically. There's rampant inflation and the, the, the sort of rapid increase in prices is a threat to, you know, the sort of like cheap supply of grain, which is like the, the, the sort of main subsidy that if you're an urban worker that you get. And meanwhile, you know, you have marketization happening. So at the same time that every, the prices are increasing for everyone and they can't get access to stuff that they need. Uh, you have just like CCP princelings like racing down the street and imported sports cars and like, these are like the only, these are like the only cars, right? Like people, people, I don't know, like, like people are starting to get bicycles in mass sort of in this period. But then, you know, it's like, hey, here's, here's this like party boss guy. who was a sports car. They're like spending years salaries, like gambling at racetracks and people just get pissed off. So they, they, they start organizing and I'm I'm going to read from a section of a piece by Yohan Zhang about what, what they were doing, um. During the struggle to obstruct the military, workers started to realize the power of their spontaneous organization and action. This was self-liberation on an unprecedented level. A huge wave of self-organization ensued. The Beijing Workers' Autonomous Federation's membership grew exponentially, and other workers' organizations, both within and across workplaces, mushroomed. The development of organizations led to a radicalization of action. Workers started organizing self-armed quasi-militias such as picket corps and dare-to-die brigades, to monitor and broadcast the military's whereabouts, these quasi militias were also responsible for maintaining public order so as not to provide any pretext for military intervention. In a sense, Beijing became a city self managed by workers. It was reminiscent of Petrograd's self armed wor- workers organized in the Soviets in the months between Russia's February and October revolutions. At the same time, Beijing workers built many more barricades and fortifications on the street. In many factories that organized strikes and slowdowns, a possible general strike was put on the table as well. Many workers started to build connections between factories to prepare for a general strike. And yeah, like this is the part of it that like people don't talk about because it wasn't in the square. And I mean, the other part, the the other faction, like factor that's going on here is that like, so the press corps is like sitting in the square. And this is why Tiananmen is is like, this is massive spectacle, right? Because all of this, everything that's happening here inside the square is happening like in front of the entire Western press corps. And, like, people are, like, you know, like, people are just, like, pointing cameras at their window, right? And, you know, but on the other hand, the the, the, the people outside of the square, like, the workers outside of the square are – the workers are getting more organized. And this is, like – this is absolutely unacceptable to the party. And so, yeah, on, on, on the night of June 3rd, the army just starts killing them. Um, They – there had been a couple of attempts earlier to clear to, to 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 clear the sort of fortifications, and it hadn't really worked. But this time, like they 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 they're, they're able to bring in military units that aren't from Beijing or like aren't from around the area, and they kill an enormous number of people. Um, yeah, and and I think it's I think it's important to note that like both in terms of the, of the killings that happen immediately and the political persecution like after that, it's it's mostly the workers burying this, expe- especially in the initial massacre, most of the killing happens as the army's, like, fighting its way into the square. And, you know, I mean, they kill people in the square, too, but... You know, and, and eventually they, they they get into the square, and this is where you get, like, Tank Man and, like, the, the sort of the famous accounts of the massacre. But, like, by that point, it's basically over, right? Because what, one of the other things that's happened is that at, over the course of this protest, a lot of the students have left because they sort they sort of gave up after the, like, factional conflict like stopped, but so so most of the people like who are there are 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 on are on the outs are like other workers on the outside of the square trying to defend it, and when those people get killed and the, ar- the army gets in the middle of the square, it's it's the whole thing's already over, and you know the the these protests get crushed, and you know b- b- like b- before the last bullet has been fired, everyone everyone left standing is trying to create their own narratives, but what just happened um. The the most common one is that Tiananmen is this like clash between democracy and authoritarianism and like, okay to to t- to some extent that's not wrong. Although I mean you know we've already mentioned that there are a lot of neo authoritarian students there, I, uh, but like you know okay th- this is this is kind of a fair interpretation of what's going on. Like there's a lot of other pro democracy movements in this period. Like in, in the region, most famously there's Taiwan and South Korea, um, but the the actual question of what's happening here is 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 really a question of of what kind of democracy there's you know that that these people are fighting for the the students at tiananmen you know to, to the extent that their democratic principles are sincere and not a cover for a sort of like deeply authoritarian version of liberalism that's you know demanded by like a sort of new class of intellectual sovereignty market reform so to the extent that they like they actually believe in this right they they believe in a very narrow conception of political democracy, and you know th- this this democracy, this sort of political democracy, operates at the level of the state, right? It's based on free citizens who are equal before the law, participating in elections, to choose representatives who like pass laws, and you know oversee and manage a state bureaucracy. But you know th- th- this model of political democracy, which is you know this is the one that we live under, right? It 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 relegates the workplace to a a. a a separate economic sphere into which democracy d- doesn't extend. The capitalist firm or its state-owned equivalent remains the absolute dictatorship of capitalists and their managerial flunkies. And even even the sort of progressive wings of the pro-democracy movement in like Taiwan and South Korea like maintain this private this private dictatorships. You know, if 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 you're a worker in one of these states, right, you get rights. You get you know you get the ability to form unions. You get access to the welfare state. You get, you get these sort of limited protections from the worst like physical and psychological abuses that your bosses can inflict. But no, no matter how progressive the pro democracy movements actually are, the legitimate the, the, Jesus, sorry, the legitimacy of the dictatorship of the bosses, which was, was not up for dispute, and, you know, to, 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 to these sort of pro democracy movements, right? Pro, like democracy means a democratic state and not a democratic workplace. And this is this is the huge divide between what's happening at Tiananmen and what's happening like everywhere else in the world. the The workers at Tiananmen are the only people left in this entire sort of like run of pro democracy movements that disagree. They they are standing against not only that like every they're standing not only against their own government, against a lot of the the students who are who are also like in, at these protests. They are standing against literally the entire tide of history itself. By 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 you know by, by applying the principles of pro democracy movements like their own concerns right, which is skyrocketing inflation, mounting debts, like rampant corruption to government officials, like skyrocketing and spiraling in a inequality and petty bureaucratic oppression. Beijing's working class had reinvented a old and now like largely forgotten tradition of democracy in the factory that i'm i'm gonna i'm calling it democratic worker self-management because there's no good name for it and they're all kind of clunky
7: fair i mean this is based on who these people were at the time it makes sense that all of their names for things were pretty clunky
8: yeah well the thing is they 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 don't name like like this and this is one of the things about okay one of the real problems with studying tianan right is that like Okay, so we have really good accounts from the students, right? Because some of the students flee and they, they're able to make it out. We have, like, jack shit, basically, from the workers. We have well, – what, what we do have is we have some of the, the – we have some of the documents they produced and we have some, a lot of interviews that were done with, with people there. And they – I don't know. They have very, very idiosyncratic ways of expressing what they believe – and so you know you'll get things where like okay they're like okay wait, we, we believe in the rule of law right and then the next sentence will be like I ah uh, uh, we 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 have calculated the exact amount of surplus value that has been extracted from us according to Marx and it's like what because yeah well, I mean, well, the, the thing that they're doing is like they're 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 synchronizing this new they're, they're synchronizing sort of like a, a political tendency that's trying to address the sort of dual dictatorships they're dealing with right like because they're, they're they're dealing at the same time with like this political dictatorship the party has, and also the fact that their bosses now like completely control everything that they do. And because of this, they, you know, they, they, they wind up being like the last, or I guess technically second to last because Argentina happens. So that, that's sort of a convoluted mess in itself, but they're they're in, in the 20th century. Like they, they are the last people who are fighting for democracy in the factory. and, this, like to a large extent, is what Tiananmen is actually about. It's, it's the culmination of a, a century-and-a-half-long war between the democratic wing of the classical workers' movement and like every single other ideology that exists. And these guys, oh, over, over that century-and-a-half-long span, they're going to fight communists, they're going to fight capitalists, they're going to fight liberals and fascists and monarchies and republics and social democracies and theocracies. And at Tiananmen, they're going to lose one more time. And that defeat... The, the fact that they lose here, the fact that these people get slaughtered, the fact that, like, they're crushed so effectively that no one even remembers what they were – no one even remembers they exist or, like, much less, like, what they were fighting for. This defeat is the origin of the modern world. The one-man rule in the factory, like, the, the 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 individual single boss who has total control and power over you is in, in its sort of thousand forms, is the author of the hell that is the 21st century and uh when we come back from this commercial break uh we are going to look at the international part of the struggle that Tiananmen is sort of like the conclusion of
7: so he- here's some ads uh maybe from Woo! Amazon Here are you can the... get a job working at their distribution center that seems yeah. like a good paying gig
8: and we're back to uh, look at why you too also must live in uh the the the, the absolute one man dictatorship in the factory <laughs> So well, it's it's not 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 not
7: as much one man. It's the one algorithm. You have to you have to listen to what your iPad tells you when you're walking through the Amazon di- distribution center. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, yeah. They,
8: they have. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, it, it is funny because it's like we they, they, they they've somehow made a worse version of it. It was like okay, <laughs> they so sure they, have. Yeah, it's like it's, it's it, yeah, it's like okay now it's, now now you are ruled by a computer whose whose job it is to make one person an extremely large amount of money.
7: It's even fur- further like depersonalized and further disjointed from actually being a human
8: yeah it's it's i don't know there's there's the there's, there, there, there's some metaphor here which if i wasn't like sick out of my mind uh about how like power depersonalizes and dehumanizes you until the point where you're replaced with a machine that you can make here but uh i i don't know one in one in every two days the rumor randomly starts spinning on me so yeah well. i i can't i can't do that <laughs>
7: The lesson well, here, he, the lesson here is, is that when you're thinking about factories and how bosses suck and how it's not great to to work in a factory, and just have a boss that tells you what to do. The lesson is, is that it can always get worse because it could always be a
8: computer. Yeah.
7: <laughs> anyway, continue. <laughs>
8: so, okay, so, to to get a sense of like what this fight is, and like how how we got to Tianmen. Uh, we need to go back to the Revolutions of 1848, which is, at, at first glance, not, like, n- not an incredibly obvious place to start. Um, okay, if, if if you want, like, a, a really detailed, like, blow-for-blow account of the Revolutions of 1848, uh, go listen to the Revolutions podcast. Uh, it It's good. I am not going to do it here because, oh my god, there's so much stuff. But the th- the very short version is that... So... In, in 1848, across Europe, there's a bunch of revolutions that are collectively known, while well, sometimes known as like the Springtime of the Peoples. And th- this is this is the first revolution. This is the first wave of revolutions where socialists are like a real thing. Um, like Frederick Engels, like that Engels, like the, the Marx and Engels. Engels is like on a barricade with a rifle fighting in Prussia. There's uh. like. Yeah, I'm not going to. Sadly, I can't get into August von Willitsch here, but like go, 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 go Google August von Willitsch. He's, he's wild. There, there's a huge revolution in France where they like that. They, they finally deposed the king. And, you know, th- th- this there's this question here at as these revolutions look like they're winning. There's this question of how far democracy is going to go and what it's going to mean. Um, and yeah, you, you have a large Thing you have, and this this is in in a lot of ways very similar to what you're dealing with, with in in China in, in 1989. Inside of France, you have the split, right? You have the split between, you know, like the, the people who are like who are like French radicals, but in the sense of like the original French Revolution, who are you know okay, they 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 want, like they 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 want an elected democracy. They absolutely do not want to, like, deal with the fact that the the that the workplace is not a democracy. And then you know, and you have we have a bunch of socialists, and the socialists are like, "Hey, can we do something about like property relations and like the fact that there's a bunch of poor people with no jobs?" And you know, and the socialists get slaughtered, but you know, they they don't die. I mean, okay, but-
7: <laughs> you just said they get slaughtered. Look, I- <laughs> <laughs> your,
8: well like, okay so a, a lot of these people get horribly slaughtered but a lot of them escape and like the make the ideology
7: it out. lives on is yeah well the ideology lives say. on and, okay. and so, a,
8: a lot of the lead well i mean there's an interesting story here like a lot of the leaders like live on a lot of these people like for example <laughs> so a bunch of people flee to the u.s and they wind up being like the like a lot of the officer corps of the union army in, in the civil war is made up by these by these socialists who like had to flee after the revolutions failed and like prussia and stuff but yeah they the, the, so, <laughs> but many of them do, in <laughs> fact, die. Die, yeah. It, it doesn't go great for them. It's and and you know and you 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 get to see one of the other things that's going to happen a lot, which is that okay. So like the 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 sort of like the the the, the French like like the, the 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 French radicals who are like pro capitalism but also pro democracy. Like ally yeah. with the conservative factions, and then they also all get killed when Napoleon, uh, <laughs> Napoleon the Third, takes power. But man, it's,
7: it's really, it's really, it's really hard to root for someone here. In and that, in that, yeah, context.
8: I know. It's, it's like, like and this is really like like the the the, the revolution produces its own gravedigger Shit, like oh hey, what what did you expect was going to happen when you allied with like the landlords and I. Uh, <laughs> good thing this this mistake will never
7: be made again nope Uh, good good thing we're not about to talk about
8: this yeah yeah Pay, pay no mind to the rest of this episode
7: yeah anyway continue
8: so yeah you have the split between people who want electoral democracy but you know dictatorships in the workplace and these people who want like democracy in the workplace and this also prefigures a split inside of socialism itself um, for, for you know, for 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 the and this isn't even I I'm, I I I like in my script I say like for 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 the most radical factions of socialism, you know, like control over the means of production, which is like the thing that you want, means that like production is controlled either by like free associations of workers, like you know, direct democratic unions. This is later called syndicalism, or like workers councils. And that that's you know, I say it's the most radical faction, but like that that's a very popular conception of like what this is going to be. Like if you yeah. read Marx, like. Marx is like, oh yeah, free associations of workers, sure, but you know, as as the sort of like 1840s roll into the 1860s and the 1870s, the, there's this faction of the movement that becomes just like obsessed with with the bureaucratic technologies of the state, and you know, like they 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 watch the state really get involved in the economy in a way that it, it like kind of hasn't before. Then they, they in over the course of sort of industrialization, they watch with like incredible envy as they see like these incredibly elaborate like planning schemes they see the, the state building roads and canals and railroads and then entire cities with like these like complex electrical grids and like gas lines and plumbing systems and especially trains like specifically trains this drives them all completely insane and they become they 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 begin to believe that like a, a single centralized planning body like not a democratic association of workers like a, a single centralized state planning body can like you know bring about the long sought after like cooperative commonwealth of socialism and all, all these people get they get obsessed with like central planning right and th- this becomes this starts to sort of like consume more and more of the left um in in germany which is home to like the powerful german social democratic party which is like probably the most powerful socialist party in the world at this point the socialists become divided into two camps there, there's the revisionists led by edward bernstein who like he, like, renounces Marxism and revolution and, like, entirely in favor of reforming capitalism in the state from, like, within. And then, you know, you have these Orthodox Marxists that are, like, led by Karl Kotsky, whose whole thing is that he hates Bernstein. And, like, the only thing that these two people, that these two groups agree on is that I... <laughs> like, the only thing they agree on is that bureaucratic state planning is the thing you're supposed to be fighting for and not, like, democratic workplaces. And this leads the SCP to, like, they... They, they they do a lot of things that are like disastrous. Um, one of the things that they wind up doing a lot is like actively working with the bosses to like destroy the like workplace autonomy for their own unions. So like there will be things where it's like like I don't there's like, a famous example of like there's like a like a I think they're like a they're a metal workers union I think they make knives or something, and th- they have a lot of control over the production process. Right, they they can control like how much stuff gets produced the process like how it works like what they're actually doing and the sdp is like no this is bad because this is inefficient and so they like basically crush their own union and this this goes in really disastrous directions but worse still uh the, the single person who becomes like the most obsessed with like the potential of bureaucratic state planning is uh one very 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 obscure guy named vladimir Ilyich lenin uh who i, I don't of, expect friend, anyone to have heard friend of, of <laughs> friend
7: of the pod of Lenin, yeah Lenin. friend, friend, well, friend I, of the pod i, I just said Leninich. oh that's funny
4: Lenin-
7: I'll Keep that in.
8: yeah so as david graver points out uh lenin's obsession with like the german postal service is such that like okay so he, he writes a very famous book about like what a future social state is going to be called state and revolution and like almost all of it is a lie but he also says this in it um a witty German social democrat of the uh, 1870s called the Postal Service an example of the socialist economic system. This is very true. At present, the Postal Service is a business organized along the lines of a state capitalist monopoly, blah, blah, blah. Imperialism, this is this whole thing about like imperialism is making everything also of this. this. Uh, but t- so to organize the whole national economy on the lines of the Postal Service so that the technicians foreman bookkeepers, as well as all officials, I receive no salaries higher than a workman's wage, all under the control and leadership of the armed proletariat. This is our immediate aim. And if you think about what this means for about five seconds, right, what he's saying is that socialism is the entire economy being planned by a bureaucratic state. And, you know, th- th- this, this, like, this sits off this like massive series of confrontations with the part of the workers' movement who you know like want to control the work that they do, and you know like like make I'm like you know the, the people who like who think that like the revolution means that they're actually going to be able to make decisions over their work and not you know just like work for like a slightly different set of bureaucrats and this struggle between you know this the sort of like new socialist bureaucrats and like democracy in the workers' movement is. You know, it's it, it's it's an enormous part of the struggle that happens here. And, and there, there's there's like another version of it happening between the workers' movement itself and the capitalist state. Like in in, in the eighteen eighties, um, the workers movements in like in Italy and in, uh, Germany and like France to a lesser extent, they, they have these they they, they they form these parties that are called like states within a state. And, you know, these things are these massive networks of these workers' institutions. They have, like, free schools. They have workers' associations. They have, like, fair-friendly societies. They have libraries. They have theaters. They have, like, unions. They have co-ops. They have, like, neighborhood associations. They have tenant unions. They have mutual aid societies. And, you know, and these things are all run democratically by, like, by, by the workers who form the associations. And, you know, and, like, the people who are doing this are, like, you know, the, the the hope is that like this is going to be the basis for the new socialist society, right? It's like okay, we we can just come together and like do this stuff. We can, we can do it democratically, and we can administer this stuff ourselves. And the and these things are are enormously popular. Um, and you know, and and this like terrifies this this sort of old ruling class. Um, and Otto von Bismarck, who's the guy basically running the German state in this period, like. He, he his solution to this is to create like bureaucratic state-run versions of like all of these things. So he, he creates like state-run libraries, state-run theaters, like state-run welfare services. And he's using these as, as, as like a, a replacement to the sort of workers' institutions. And he, he has this great line where he tells an American observer, quote, my idea was to bribe the working classes, or shall I say, to win them over, to regard the state as a social institution existing for their own sake and invested in the, and interested in their welfare. And, like, this works. This is this is an enormous success. This is one of the greatest propaganda truths ever because, like, it, it, it's it's so successful in convincing people that the thing that they're fighting for is, like, the state bureaucratic version of this thing and not the version where they do it themselves that, like, when, when the socialists, like, take power, they, they confuse Bismarck's, like, literally the welfare state bribe thing that he he, like, made to buy off the movements. Like, they confuse that with socialism itself. And, like, to this day, everyone believes this. It's, like... It's it's I don't know I, I lose my mind constantly over this because all of these things that Bismarck developed like specifically to destroy the social the socialist movement everyone was like oh my god this is socialism it's like no no please stop and you know and th- this is really effective particularly on the leadership of the movement but like the actual like people in these parties like in these movements don't forget it and and as as the sort of like twentieth century draws to a close and you get like the sorry, as, as the 19th century draws to close and you get like the 20th century, the workers who are like doing the uprisings are are not sort of like, like the, you know, the, the, the workers who are doing the uprisings haven't like drinking the Kool-Aid. And the thing that they do immediately when they start doing uprisings is they start building these democratic institutions, particularly workers' councils. Um, The, the most famous of these are like other workers' councils that form sort of spontaneously in the Russian revolutions of 1905 and 1917. These are like this is actually like this is what like these the, they're called Soviets because Soviets is just like the word for council in Russian and th- these these things are originally these like ad hoc strike committees and then they eventually become these like like formalized like like elected bodies of representatives from like the various factories who are like coordinating a strike and okay so in 1905 they they lose and they all die but in 1917 uh they 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 do this again and they form the Soviets again and this time the councils start to take. Like a larger role in coordinating production directly, and you know, coordinating between different like factories and industries, and they they, they 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 turn into this sort of like counterpower thing to the new government, and this kicks off this open period of warfare that stretches like literally from Italy to Argentina, between the the different socialist factions who like pe- pe- like the different factions of this movement who want democracy in the factory, and this like a lot newly formed like anti-democratic alliance of like social democrats, Bolsheviks, and capitalists. Who, like, you know, are like, okay, well, s- some of them are in favor of, like, you can have democracy. Well, okay, th- th- there's a whole range of this thing, right? Like, the thing that unites all of these movements, the Social Democrats, the Bolsheviks, the capitalists, and later the fascists, is that they, like, emphatically, like, do not want democracy in the factory. And they're willing to put aside their differences to make sure it doesn't happen. But, you know, there's still there's still a huge fight that happens here. Between, between 1917 and 1920, you get workers' councils in you get workers councils in Germany, Poland, Austria, Ukraine, Ireland, and Ireland. There's there's these like two giant revolts by syndicalist workers unions in Brazil and Argentina, and the, these all get crushed. Um, in Italy, Italy has like one of the most intense conflicts between these like a lot of syndicalists in the Italian state. And they 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 have this this really famous like set of factory occupations where instead of like so like before this, people would go on strike. Right, you go on strike and you you leave your factory. And in, in Italy they were like, Okay, wait, what if we just stayed in the factory and took it over so that they couldn't like just like restart production with scabs and we now control the factory? And there's this huge wave of it in in Italy in in the late nineteen nineteen like teens and early nineteen twenties. And you know, it, it looks like for a little for like a, a bit, it like it really looks like they're going to bring down the government. But the, the factory occupations get crushed, but they don't, they don't get crushed by the government. They get crushed by the Italian Socialist Party and, like, their union, the General Confederation of Labor. And, like, th- this is how fascism wins in Italy, like, to a large extent. It's that, like, when, when like, you know, and, and this happens in Germany, too. It's like when, 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 when sort of the Social Democrats and the capitalists are faced with this possibility that, like, workers could take over the factories, the Social Democrats turn on them and just kill them all. And the problem with that is that, like, okay, well, who 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 do you do the killing with? And the answer is the fascists, and then the social democrats, like themselves, all get exterminated by the fascists. It, it's it's this like, you know, it, it is it is, a, it is a it is a terrible cycle that we're going to see like, literally over and over and over again. Um, yeah, it, it it's bad. Um,
7: that sounds not great. Yeah,
8: yeah. <laughs> uh, I do 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 you know who else will uh, slaughter your your factory council?
7: Oh no. Oh oh, I I I actually know this one.
6: Mm.
8: All right, all right, Garrison, go. We
7: have a few options here. There is uh our, our good friends at the Washington State Patrol. Um if you're trying to set up a highway business next to the highway <laughs> and run run it via workers cancel, state patrol <laughs> will come up be like, "Not on this highway." Yep. And you're done. Um probably also like Amazon or something, who knows.
8: Yeah. And we're back to see you know, okay, okay, we, we we, we are back to see like the worst defeats that they're going to have that, that like the people who want like a factory council are going to have in this period, which for once actually has nothing to do with Amazon or the capitalists whatsoever, <laughs> which is that like the the, the worst balling they're going to get is from Lenin and the Bolsheviks who I, I, I don't know how many people sort of like know the history of the Russian revolution, but like the factory councils are the people who like basically put the Bolsheviks in power in the first place like to a large extent, like they're the they're the, they're the people who like were the shock troops of this, and like literally the moment Lenin takes power, he starts undermining the Soviets. Um, he he publishes this thing, like 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 three or four days after the October Revolution, he he publishes this thing called the Draft Decree on Workers Control, which is like, you know, he 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 basically is like he's he's trying to like shift power from these councils to the Bolshevik Party and the state, and this doesn't really work initially because. These groups are like pretty powerful, but in it, you know, he he, he pub- publicly Lenin's like, no, we draw, we derive our power from the Soviets. Like, we're, we're, we're the people who support the, these councils. But then, like, Lenin's, he's like chipping away from them. And then in 1918, he writes this thing, he writes this, 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 uh, paragraph from the immediate task of the Soviet government, which is like one of the wildest things I've ever read in my life. I was which, gonna read it, which this. is saying a lot. It's, it's, <laughs> It's wild. It is. Jeez. Okay. Uh, unquestioning submission to a single will is absolutely necessary for the success of labor processes that are based on large-scale machine industry. Today, the revolution demands in the interest of socialism that the masses unquestioningly obey the single will of the leaders of the labor process. Which is like, what?
7: <laughs> like, What? How about you explain to our good viewers why that is so bonkers? Like, okay. Some of them might just hear that and be like,
8: oh, leftist words, cool, moving on.
3: even just the first two words, unquestioning submission, makes me... Like,
8: that part, like, unquestioning submission, the whole thing about, like, the masses must unquestionably obey the will of the single leader, like, what? No,
3: hard pass.
0: This
8: is like, like, what is happening? This is, uh, you know, and the thing that's happening here is that Lenin, Lenin is being really candid about what it means for there to be a boss. Like what what it means for there to be someone whose position is above you that can order you to do literally whatever they want. And if you don't obey them, like bad things happen to you, starve suffer. or get shot. Yeah. And he He's, he's, he's incredibly candid about this, right? Like this, 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 this is what like having a boss means. It means like questioning submission to the single will of a leader.
7: This is, which is yeah, like, this,
8: this is how I talk
7: about Sophie all the time.
8: Yeah. Yeah. Oh <laughs>
3: Well, Shaking her head. I'm with you, Sophie. Can't believe They just said that.
7: You're, yeah, you're welcome. Whatever you say, Sophie. Thanks, Gare.
8: <laughs> God, I'm thinking about this. There's this line. Um, It's sort of financially related to the story. I read this thing once about, so the workers who took over the Sorbonne. Actually, I think it was, a, was it the students who served the... A bunch of students, like, take over this, Uh, like, like the, 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 like, the, like the big academy in in paris in 1968 and they send this like t- i think it's a telegram to like the chinese embassy and like the end of it is what well, I, I, I think if i'm remembering the exact words correctly it's uh the the, re- the revolution will not be complete until the, uh, the revolution will not be complete until the last capitalist is hung with the entrails of the last bureaucrat uh
7: that <laughs> incredibly like, hot <laughs> yeah <laughs>
8: 68 was wild. That's that's the thing this brought to mind for some reason. But you know, I, I mean go, going back to sort of Lenin and his like unquestioning uh, like submission to the single, well like he, he's more candid about what like one man rule in the factory or like having a boss you have to obey like means, but the system he's describing like isn't different than any other political system. Like Bolshevik rule in the factory like isn't really different than capitalist, social democratic or fascist rule. And you know, the the movement for democracy in the factory as as you know, as 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 these people are crushed, especially in Crosshead nineteen twenty one, like the movement for, for democracy in the factory is faced by four implacable enemies who are willing to put aside all of their ideological differences to ensure that like no one ever like gets to control their workplace. And, you know, and as as the twenties blend to the early nineteen thirties, like the movement seemed to have disappeared. But they didn't? They absolutely didn't. Even though even though they got murdered by the fascists, the communists, the Social Democrats, and the Capitalists. Uh they're, they're gonna be back next episode to do like twelve more revolutions. And yeah, that that that's that, that 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 come 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 back tomorrow for us talking about like why these revolutions happened, uh what the ruling class did to stop them, and then Yeah, the the lead up to Tiananmen Square to see the sort of like the, the final stand of the Chinese working class and yeah, like get to what Tiananmen actually was
3: what a cliffhanger wow. Woo!
8: podcast yeah that that counts as an intro. I, I, I'm look, it, yes, we've, we've, we've now started the podcast. The podcast that we are starting is "It Could Happen Here," and I it, it, it's, it's me, Christopher Wong. I'm 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 doing I'm doing the host thing, and I have a bunch of other people with me who do a lot of things. Uh, I have Garrison, yes. I have Shireen, yes. And I have Sophie,
7: um, our lovely boss. Sophie yeah. licked her bed. All praise on high.
6: <laughs> Your words not Bow mine. Bow down. Your words not mine. So Weird. I did not enjoy that at all. <laughs> Chris, wanna take over?
8: So, so Sophie, unfortunately, fortunately, unfortunately, uh, la- lacks the sheer ruthlessness to uh, crush the workers' movement.
7: Well, we will but, see. Yeah, that, <laughs> oh that, that remains to be determined.
8: <laughs> so, I don't buy it. So, Sophie, Sophie is very sad. I'm sorry, Sophie. Thank you. Um, so when we last left off, Lenin Lenin has like in theory crushed last sort of remaining factions of like the workers who want democracy in the factories. But unfortunately for the Leninists, like literally no, many, no matter how many workers they kill, and they are going to kill enormous numbers of workers, the demand for democracy in the factory like just refuses to die. For, for over 100 years, the development of this sort of mass factory system and logistical infrastructure that you need to support it. Uh, maybe most importantly, coal mines and railroads that are used to transport stuff generate this incredibly militant working class that sees, you know, democratic control over the workplace as like the fundamental aspect of its liberation. Um, Ideologically, this is, you know, this is, this is manifested in like a series of interlocking beliefs about like the nature of the working class and like what class society is um, all of which are sort of necessary components of this, like what becomes this like incredibly like this, like instinctive formation of workers councils, the moment like, an uprising happens and this is, this is something that's that's very interesting about about the 20th century is that like yeah like when, whenever there's like a crisis someone's someone like, like like everyone in the factory is like okay we're, we're we've taken control of the factory now like we we we're forming a council we're forming a giant assembly and like we don't do this anymore and we're gonna come back to like why we don't do this anymore but like this hasn't happened like the, the last time it happened was like in argentina in 2001 and I don't even know if Garrison Garrison might have been alive for that. Thanks. But like, like
7: yeah,
3: like it's.
7: It, it, I will say the other time it does happen is when af- after a after a recording session, when our boss Sophie leaves, me me and Chris will stay on the line to talk. That's usually, true. Usually about Star Wars. Um, yeah. And that, in a way, kind of is a workers' council just for the factory of podcasting. Yeah. Um, we could look, talk yeah.
6: Talk about Star Wars in front of me. I feel so oh, bad for okay. Sophie. Right <laughs> next, next, next <laughs> time anyway, we will. Just little puppy face. It's okay, thanks, like Shereen.
7: Your petite bourgeois tactics won't work on me. Sophie
8: <laughs> <but Kevin. laughs> Oh God, we uh, all, 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 all the people on the subreddit who think that we hate Sophie are going to just have a field oh, day no! with this episode. <laughs> <laughs>
6: that is my favorite (laughs) recurring conspiracy theory bit
3: that's a a real conspiracy oh Oh, man oh man wow i have a lot of catching up on to
7: do you do you do not no
3: (laughs) you do not because it's not true
7: run away
8: so meanwhile meanwhile so in the period when people actually like did this seriously you know, th- there's a lot of sort of ideological things that come together to, to make it so that when people like, you know, like when when bread prices increase too much, this is what people do. Um, and a lot of this has to do with the physical experience of what being a worker is in, like, you know, the 19th and 20th centuries. Like, you have these like these 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 incredibly rapid like technological expansions and. You know, the, the the people who are who are doing this stuff, like, see themselves as the creator of the new world, right? Like, and, and th- this, like, literally, this is happening. Like, th- these are the people who are literally, like, they are building the cities, right? Like, all, all of the sort of the, the infrastructure of the modern world is physically being created by them. And this creates this, you know, like, if, if, if you are the person who is, like, who has transformed like this fishing village into this giant industrial city, right, um... You know, you 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 see yourselves as as the creator, like literally physically the creator of this new world that's being developed. And then, the second belief that that it produces that drives this movement is that the people who produce this world should be its inheritors. And so, and th- this 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 sort of this is what drives the workers' movement in this period, which is that like okay, so if 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 you if you are literally physically creating the new world, and you think that because you have created it, it should be yours, uh. The, ne- the 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 thing that you do because it's not yours right like you don't like yeah you 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 know the, the, like the 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 people who build cities are not the people who own the cities and you yeah. know if you see this yeah like it, yeah okay like and the city is actually owned by like three real estate speculators and like a bunch of cops
7: uh, more applicable examples like the people who build the podcast does not own the podcast. Yeah, right? no, we don't own
8: the podcast. Like we, no, we are exactly, uh, exactly. applicable yeah. result
7: that uh, you know that can uh, that you know everyone understands that example. Yeah, uh, every, yeah.
8: We, I, ad- I actually don't think that people understand that we don't own the podcast. It's actually unclear to me. I I, 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 people, people have weird things about how podcasting works, but yeah, we we don't own the podcast. We just create it, and we, we do all the work, and then Sophie
7: sits yeah. in her <laughs> leather chair. Looking down at, at all my of the... My
9: leather all the,
7: chair? All the <laughs> it's leather is, chair. It's over. Leather I, chair? Like, I Look think, at all you... my podcast creations I have created. And then all of us Climate change podcast has writers so bad. How we...
6: could you think I could sit here on an 85 degree day in a leather chair? <laughs> if you're going to insult me, at least get your facts right. <laughs> <laughs> my word. A leather <laughs> chair. Continue, Chris.
8: Okay, so for 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 the, for the for the people who are like actually watching their boss like sitting around smoking a giant cigar in a factory uh-huh. while they pound like hammers or like work at a hospital <laughs> and get a watch like so,
7: <laughs> just started Look, that was so fast. A, a massive cigar and a comically large cigar. <laughs> Robert Incredible actually timing. this for me to give to, to give to prop, but. <laughs> Because for the record, whenever I do hang out with my other boss Robert, he often does sit in some chair smoking a cigar. And I do think it is in fact leather.
8: <laughs> okay, so we're describing Robert.
7: Yeah. He forces it- me to slave away on my laptop writing scripts and Yeah. just sits in Look, his chair. We work in the
8: podcast minds. Yeah, it's it's
7: it, it is it is really hard out there. Yeah. And you- <laughs> continue. <laughs>
8: So okay, so like the the, the the belief that you produce the world and that if you produce it you should own it is like this this is not unique to the part of the workers' movement that like you know thinks that also you should like have a democracy in the factory and like should you should have the autonomy to decide how you do your work and what needs to be done. Uh, that that those beliefs like broadly comprise the ideology of like the entire workers' movement. And and yeah. by, you know, by, by, by the twentieth century the workers' movement is really, really broad, right? I mean it stretches from sort of like really mild social democratic trade unionists to like the intellectual heads of these like Leninist vanguard parties. It, but what, what makes a democratic wing unique is that their concern is the fundamental alienation of factory life. And, and this, this is, I mean, originally like it is very much factory life, but like this, this gets expanded out as this goes on into sort of the, 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 like the, the fundamental alienation of labor itself, which is, which is this, this condition of being reduced to an object by bosses who use you as a tool to do something and you know and this this is a concern for everyone in some sense but but for the leninists and social democrats alienation is just like a product of ownership or distribution right so you know if 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 that's what you believe the way you defeat alienation is through the working class productive capacity not in it not in sort of like any kind of like innate human like humanity or creativity like all you have to do is like well okay you you flip a switch right and the factory is now owned by the state instead of being owned by like JP Morgan or something, and like now your alienation is gone. Uh huh. That's how it works. Yeah. Or and, and, and you know, social democracy. It's like, well, okay, so you 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 flip a switch and taxes get higher, and now you have a union, but you're still working for gold. You're still working for the Goldman Sachs. But you know, but for 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 the wing of the workers movement that you know actually cares about democracy, this doesn't solve anything, right? Like as yeah. as long as the the, the fundamental relation. Of being the like of, of being an object, right? As, as long as like you fundamentally the worker are are not are not a human being who has agency and control and autonomy over their life. As long as you're just an object, that you know, like you 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 like you, you you are a living human tool that the one man ruler of the factory can like you know can can wield around to do whatever they want. As as long as that persists, changes in ownership structure and you know, like health benefits miss the entire point. And th- this kind of the, the, the degradation that comes from just being a tool can only be solved by returning agency and autonomy to the working class. And that means like actually giving the class control over the production process. And, you know, in, in, in 1936 in Spain, workers are like, fuck this, and decide to take the entire thing into their own hands. And they do this by just seizing their workplaces in mass. And this becomes known as the Spanish revolution. Um, And it, it is one of the most extensive sort of experiments in like, workers democratic self-management or like whatever whatever you want to call people making their own decisions in the workplace like that has ever happened like especially in the modern era like everything from like public utilities to like bakeries to hospitals to shoe factories like falls under the direct control of these like democratic unions and once their bosses have been like you know chased from the premises and like flee in terror uh these workers set about like transforming the entirety of spanish society along democratic lines like they they, they pool their resources together collectively and that they, they allocate them democratically for the benefit of you know like society as a whole and for a brief moment this works they have this incredible like this triumphant experiment in democratic self management and output increases dramatically and social services are expanded and like in, in 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 the span of two years in the middle of a civil war uh like the workers of spain are able to create a universal healthcare system that expands care into like like rural areas of Spain where like you couldn't get it before. But you know, the problem is once again, is that this is happening through the civil war and, and a lie like, you know, and using sort of like nominally anti-fascism, like as, as their sort of like, you know, the, 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 they're using the, the threat of the need to oppose fascism as, as a sort of front, like a, a, a French for what they're actually doing. You get this alliance of liberals, liberal socialists and Stalinists who just like brutally stamp out any attempt to at do democratic self-management. And like, like you, you have like, soviet cadres and like nkvd like soviet secret police guys like literally leading armies into in, into these cities and like like kill like killing the workers and then physically like taking control of these factories that people had seized and giving them back to the bosses which is you know this is this is great this is great communist stuff and yeah the you know and this 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 ends exactly how you would expect it to end with uh, yeah. Like the 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 Stalinists get everything they want. They murder all of the the people who want like a factory council, and then they all get killed by Franco. But you know, un- un- undeterred by sort of the casualty tolls of these like massacres by people who want bosses, uh, this just keeps happening. And you know, by the time you get to the the, the 1950s, and 1960s, like all this stuff is back. Like there there's there's factory councils again in Hungary. You get them in Italy, in France, and like Czechoslovakia in 1968. There's like like there, 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 There's councils being like there, there's there's communes being formed in like Vietnam. There's like there, there we've talked about the cordones in, uh, uh in in Chile on the show before. Like the 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 these things are happening everywhere, and I think Hungary in particular is a really interesting one because, so it, it, there's a revolution in in Hungary against sort of the Soviets in in 1956. That's it gets a lot of the same liberal mythologizing that you get with Tiananmen, but like kind of more egregious here. Uh, so it, I, I don't know. I, I think like I I, I got taught th- this revolution in, in schools. It's like one of the few ones that we actually get. And they taught it as this like, th- this is like the Hungarian revolution was this like kind of nationalist, like liberal democratic revolution for people who wanted like democracy and freedom and like free markets. And then like, you know, if, if you go read about what the people were at, the people actually doing the revolution were saying, you get quotes like this. I mean, th- this is a direct quote from a member of one of the Hungarian workers councils the time when the bosses decided our fate is over and it's like, huh, huh? These, these guys, these guys do not seem like, I don't know. These guys don't seem like liberal Democrats. So something weird is happening here. There's something that's actually happening. Is that like Hungarian workers like seize control of their factories and like their workplaces and they form workers councils, and They overthrow the government, and then the Russians slaughter them all. But you know, like th- th- this is not a liberal democratic revolution at all. Th- this is a revolt against the dictatorship in the workplace. And there's an identical revolts break out across both the capitalist world and the communist world. And in the newly decolonized societies, you start seeing them too. And, you know, and to, to to the sort of like dismay of both the communists and the capitalists, who are both like, oh my god, why is everyone keep forming workers' councils? Like, this solution to alienation, like, it's not like an ideological thing, right? Like it's it's not that there's like a group of people who are like secretly infiltrating these countries and being like, Okay, you need to form workers' councils this ha- this is this stuff is happening in places where there's just like none of that so like what, one of one of the sort of like movements that that does stuff like this is is the revolution in Algeria um you know and the, 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 they're like they they like Algeria like does have a pretty high level of of political education but the, the political education they're getting is from like it's it's from the national liberation front which is like insofar as it's any one thing it's like it's a nationalist vanguardist movement which is you know they they're the people who like fight the French colonizers and beat them. And their ideology, like, insofar as you can describe one ideology, Jim, like, the thing that they want is, like, the state having this decisive role in national development. But, you know, immediately upon taking power, Ahmed Benbella, who's Algeria's first president, like, discovers that, you know, he he's not actually going to be the one, like, making the decision about what the country's economic structure is going to be because he takes power and a whole bunch of, like, Al- of French people who live in Algeria flee and... Basically what happens immediately after is that all of like all of these, this property that had been originally like held by, by, by French sort of like colonists, like it it, it gets immediately seized by the Algerian working class. And, you know, they build their own workers' councils and, you know, Benbella is like, okay, I, I, I guess, I guess we have like workers' councils now. <laughs> like, I, I guess, I guess we have sort of like autonomous democratic production and Benbella is like kind of trying to undermine them but he doesn't really get a chance to, because once again, there's a military coup and Bambela like he, I think he, he escapes and doesn't die. But like the fact that the, the councils all sort of get dismantled again, but like the number of times this has happened is getting just like completely out of hand. And it's like, yeah, okay. The, 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 the it's like, yeah. Okay. So a- every time this happens, they murder everyone, but like, you know, the revolutions keep happening and they keep happening and they keep happening. And, you know, it, 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 even even as late as like the late seventies, like it's not clear that, that that like it's it's not clear that the people who want one man rule in the factory are going to win. Like, th- there's this moment in Italy, nineteen seventy seven, where it's like this this like giant student student and worker coalition almost takes power. Um, like in Spain, even after like fifty years of of like Franco and like the the fascist dictatorship. The, the CNT, which is the anarchist union that had done the revolution, like reappears in the seventies again, even though everyone thought it was gone. And like, you know, this is a real, this is a real source of strife for, especially the sort of capitalist managerial elite who are, you know, they, this stuff keeps happening and it's like, okay, like it it is an unacceptable risk that one of the, one day, one of these groups is going to win. And so they, they start looking for a way to, like, dismantle this sort of, like, systemic things that, like, create that, – that cause people to do this. But, you know, but they're, but they're trying to do it in a way that doesn't involve them giving up their power. Um, so, yeah, as Vicky Osterwald points out, th- this sort of, like – this, like, instinctive embrace of, like, democracy in the factory, like, as a political program is only possible – as long as factories, as long as like the factory functions as a point of encounter. Um, she, her, I, th- I think it was her term for it when she calls it a dark agora, which is like so. Agora is like like the the sort of like the Greek marketplace in the center of a town. Everyone goes there, and you like talk about things, right? And the factory serves as as this kind of like it's this sort of like dark version of it, where like on the one hand, you know, it facilitates these interactions that allow people to sort of like identify with each other and like you know, create collective meaning by like interacting with each other. But on the other hand, it exists to exploit you and it's like terrible and you're just getting, you know, you're getting physically and socially destroyed like every moment you're in it. But, you know, it, it, it's, it still is a place where you can like assemble an identity as like like you and a bunch of the people around you can go like, hey, like we are workers, right? Like we, we are the working class and th- this, this is like a shared political identity that you have that allows you to do things. And so the The thrust of sort of the attack against this takes the form of this attack on like the shop floor as like a, a site of like formation of identities that, that can allow you to like mobilize stuff. And so th- this takes like a number of forms. Um, most famously is there's it's there's, deindustrialization and this sort of like spatial relocation of factories. So like like part of what's going on right is that you have a you have a bunch of people who work in a factory and then they live. Like around, like right around the factories, right? They they work in a coal mine. Everyone lives in a town around the coal mine, and this means that everyone sees each other constantly and are like constantly like running into each other and like physically talking to each other. And you know, th- th- this is a really good way to create radical politics. So what what happens is you, you these factories get sent out to the suburbs, and. This allows you to to create places where you know workers are isolated from each other, and you know the other thing you can do is you turn workers into homeowners, and you you sort of like buy them off with this combination of like cheap credit and this promise that like their houses will not be a financial asset, and so a- as the sort of eighties rolls on, the the, the sort of the, the 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 like the heralded democratization of finance replaces democratization in the factory as sort of the capitalist class like the other thing they do that's like really insidious is they they. They 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 tied like the remaining union pensions into the stock market, and this is stuff like, like you see this today with like four hundred one ks, and it means that like if if you want to like have a retirement, you are like physically literally invested in the stock market, which ties you know which ties everyone sort of like into the system, and corporations start to turn workplaces into these like enormous propaganda apparatuses you get like like Walmart in particular has these like like these mass ideological like programming things that they run that are designed to sort of like get you to identify with like the corporation itself and not with like the other people you're you know like the other people you're with in the class as a whole and you know like the, the other thing that they're able to do is the fact that capital is mobile and workers like aren't allows you know combines with like logistics advances and it means that like if workers ever start getting an upper hand somewhere capitalists can just leave and the process that you see is that as the sort of the total number of people working in in the like in industrial work keeps decreasing right as, as a percentage of the population it keeps decreasing and as this happens capitalists are just like okay screw it we're get, we're going to we're going to pick up our tools and leave and this spits out like enormous populations who are just like kicked out of the traditional workforce entirely and these developments this is what actually like eventually destroys the classical workers movement is the ability to leave and the sort of destruction of the factory is like a site of stuff. But in order for this to work, the one thing they need is a, a place to move to, right? They, they need somewhere with this large exploitable labor supply that is been like crushed enough that it won't revolt against them. And the capitalist class uh, finds that in uh, our products and services. And we're, we're, we're back. We're 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 back, and we're we're back to China, and okay. So I, I've been talking about the the way this sort of like this this whole system, like this whole factory system, mass production stuff, like develops. But China's weird because this is the one place where the factory system works like really differently than everywhere else. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for this. One of which is that like, so Chinese like state-owned firms, it's like almost impossible for them to fire someone because. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for this. So one of them is that, like, people's entire sort of social sphere is built around their work unit. And, like, their work unit is, like, it's the, it's the, the company you work for, and there's this whole sort of, like, legal apparatus built around it. And it, like... You know, and, like, th- this, like, unit gives you everything from, like, your retirement to, like, it, like, feeds you. Like, there's often, like, entertainment stuff's, like, tied into it. Like, you get health care, you get, like, care from it. And the CCP also gets rid of the peace rate system, which is this, like, this is this thing that, like, I mean it still so there's a lot of capitalist places to work with this, where it's like, okay, so the peace rate system is you pay people for like every unit of something they produce. So like you get paid by like I don't know, like how many like how many pounds of like cherries you can pick. And so the, the USSR brings this back because the USSR and the US are really not that different. But China's like, nah, this like sucks. This is capitalism. And, you know, okay, like I'm not gonna say the fact Chinese factory system is great, but like because they don't have the peace rate system is because they can't fire people. I, you get this very, you you get this weird thing where it's like the people who run the factories like don't have very good ways to force people to work. And because of this, they they, like, they sort of like have to allow this like degree of participation in the worker process in like in the labor process that like, you don't really see most other places. And the other thing they have that I'd, i luckily, uh, Garrison and I also have this. Is uh, we have the ability to criticize our bosses. Although we we have more of this <laughs> than these guys have. But Go yeah, ahead. one one day. Yeah, what do you got? What, Go ahead. one one one. Okay, we we we've got it. We we don't we don't have our big character poster yet. But like one day, Garrison and I are going to show up to the office with like giant big character posters with your faces on it. That like have specifically you know Roberts love? are going to have a list of crimes on it. Great. It'd be great.
7: I- Love My it. favorite part of like big labor protests is when they make those giant like puppets.
8: Yeah, oh, the giant
6: puppet stick puppets. Puppet me.
7: If we just make a giant stick puppet version of Robert and Sophie that we right. just create around the office, that that as one, long that- as mine's bigger than Robert's, that's fine. We can do that.
6: Great. <laughs> Great. Full support.
8: So we we get to do this in China. It's it's weird. Like you have the ability to do this, but like it's like run to the party and so if someone gets unpopular enough like the party will like start a campaign about how bad like that one boss is and then you can show up to like the meeting and go like hey i hate my boss this guy sucks but then they just replace him with like another boss right so it, it's not like it, it it's not actually a democratic system really but the way that it works ensures that like the, the people who are managers are like pretty popular at least to some extent, like are popular and people don't like really hate them. And this means that, you know, because there's all of this stuff that makes the Chinese factory system different from like the other systems. Uh, And also because of like structural stuff in Maoism that I, I mean, I could talk about that, but I, I don't like talking about Maoism, but basically the, the product of this is that, Like you have in China during this period, a lot of demands for democracy, but they're really They're not, they're not tied to the workplace at all. They're, they're, they're mostly like political demands for like democracy in the party or stuff like that. And that means like, you know, at least in the cities, the system like kind of works okay-ish until the cultural revolution where everything falls apart. And this means that it is at long last time for me to do the cultural revolution rant which is something I have been oh, planning good. for like.
6: Go for, I know, I know you've been waiting for this.
8: I'm yeah, so I'm very, I'm, I'm very you. excited about this. I've been waiting for an excuse, and I finally have one. Give okay, it to so us. The, the Cultural Revolution rant is that everyone gets the Cultural Revolution completely wrong. Like everyone, it, like, every like it, it, it's like it, it, it's it's one of the rare events where like it's misinterpreted in like exactly the same way by both the people who support it and the people who oppose it. Um, and, and, okay, the, the first thing to understand about this, right, is, like, okay, so the 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 initial, the very, very beginning of the Cultural Revolution, like, it's basically a bunch of, like, teenagers, kind of, like, it's like middle schoolers, essentially, and they're attacking these, they're attacking, like, other kids at their school, and these kids are kids who have what's called a black blood background, like, black blood which means that like they they're the children of people who were from like quote-unquote bad class backgrounds. And this is really weird for a number of reasons. One because you have you 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 have a sort of like a pseudo class system based on like who your parents were, right? You have people who have red blood who had like good class backgrounds or like your parents are workers or your parents worked with the party or something. And then you have people who are from like bad class backgrounds quote-unquote who like are persecuted and like okay like I, I don't really care that much if you're like persecuting like a shanghai oligarch who like collaborated with the french and japanese imperialists or whatever but like a this extends to like the children of these people and a lot of the children of these people like weren't even alive when their parents were like you know like doing stuff that was bad and, and the other thing is that like the, the term bad class background this is really loose like i i, I know people whose families were decl- like declared like black class backgrounds who have black blood and like, you know, they, they weren't allowed to hold any government position. And the reason that this happened to them was that her dad had made bird feeders before the revolution and they considered that like petite bourgeois. And it's like, this is like, this is like, like what, like what, what are you doing? Like you, 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 you've reproduced, like you've turned class into like a pseudo race thing. That's like her, like you like inherit from your parents, even though. Like their parents don't own property anymore because you've done so. it's it's really bizarre and 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 what's what's happening here is the kids from the red class backgrounds are are, are you know they're the, they're the kids of the new of the new Chinese elite, and they're just like picking on and attacking the kids who are like now this this sort of like like minority class and so what it amounts to is the beginning of this is a bunch of privileged rich kids who are like attacking the bunch of kids who are being persecuted for stuff that's like not their fault at all. And you know, part and the other, the other part of this, like this is the part that people I think get is like Mao is trying to like play power games inside the party, blah 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 blah. But you know, things get more and more chaotic, and you get you get start getting these attacks on like CCP bureaucrats and cadres and stuff because Mao is trying to like Mao's trying to solidify his place in the party, and he's blah blah blah. There's other stuff that's happening, um, but then it gets really interesting. Um, so so th- this starts in 1966, right? And at the very beginning of 1967 there's something there's something called the January storm which is where a bunch of rebel workers just seize control of Shanghai and like they run the party out they run the they run I think they run the army out too and you know and now like they 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 control the city of Shanghai and this is like an oh fuck moment for Mao because you know n- now he has to like deal with this city that has been taken over by its own working class and and I found this this incredible line from Zhou Enlai, who's having a meeting with Mao, and they're trying to figure out what to do about the fact that uh like this 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 like that Shanghai has been seized by by these workers. And I'm I'm just gonna read this. When asked whether the new leadership should be elected from the bottom up, Zhou Enlai replied bluntly that, quote, anarchism is bound to develop if we immediately implement direct elections of the Paris Commune type. And I, I think this is like this is this really incredible, like like thing you can find right because it's like okay well there, th- 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 there's two things that can happen here one is either like okay you 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 give these people the democracy and the ability to vote right and joe and lion and mal look at this and are like that would be If we can't do that and the second thing is you don't do that and you repress them and they, they take the second line and you know okay like it, it takes them a bit to get this ramped up Right, it takes them a bit to get the sort of kind of revolution thing they're doing to like stop all of this rebel stuff that they've they've started to to, to get. It. it takes them about a year, but but by 1968, the students and the workers who had like you know done done this sort of uprising stuff start getting slaughtered, like just, just massacred, like killed on an unimaginable scale. Uh, the, 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 and the, this is this is where everyone gets the cultural revolution completely wrong because everyone. The entire memory of the Cultural Revolution is from basically the first two years of it, right, which is, like, all the stuff about, like, like you know, like, professors being marched out onto the street in dunce caps and, like, students, like, humiliating the professors and, like, uh, like party officials being, like, marched around with, like, placards on them and, like, people – like, that's – the stuff, and, like, the, the chaos of the revolution. Like, that's, that's stuff everyone remembers. That's the first two years of this there's still like I mean you you can art like there, there's there's this the short the short the quote-unquote short culture revolution which is like the, the high point of the activity goes from 1966 to 19 1969 and then there's like a longer one that goes to like the death of Mao depending on how you want to count it but almost all of the actual violence in this period happens in this in in in, in the third phase which is the the the, the so the, the first phase is like the initial uprising and then the, the the rebel groups are fighting each other but then phase three is when the state like cracks down on like, like starts starts like starts trying to crush this like rebel student factions. And I I'm, I'm going to read from Walder who did a uh he, so there's a guy named Walder who who went to he, he did a bunch of work in the Chinese archives where he, like went and like found the death tolls. And I'm I'm going to read like he 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 like he goes to a bunch of archives, he goes to a bunch of state archives and he like like tracks down the death certificates and like tracks down like who died where. And th- this this is what he wrote about it. More than three-fourths of all documented deaths in local annals are due to the actions of authorities in this this third phase, and then more than 90% of those persecuted for alleged political crimes. So what he's saying here is that 75% of all of the deaths in the entire Cultural Revolution weren't done by, like, the revolution parts. They were done by the state murdering the workers' faction, the rebel factions. And not only that, 90%... Of the, of the actual political persecution was done by the state and not by the rebels. And when, when, when you actually look at what this means, like, this means everything, everything anyone ever talks about the Cultural Revolution is completely wrong. It wasn't, the, like, the thing that happened in the Cultural Revolution wasn't that sort of student radicalism got out of control and they started killing everyone and it produces all this violence. The thing that actually happens is that there's a student, like, uprising, right? But what happens is that the the, the, the sort of conservative and state factions just slaughter them and i uh, walter estimates the total number of people dead it's somewhere between 1.1 and 1.6 million people and again like 75% and i think it's actually slightly higher than that like percent of the people who were killed in this are killed by the state and you know th- th- this this has an enormous effect on i mean just everything that happens in china in chinese society from then on because on the one hand the popular memory of the Cultural Revolution persists as this thing that was like, this is what happens if you like if, – if people outside the party and like students and radicals like start like making trouble is that like you get all these people dead. But then, you know, you you have the people inside the state who like know how many people they had to kill in order to hold on to power, right? They, they kill they kill probably more people than like the – you know, the, the, there's, there's, there's a very famous massacre of like – communists or like suspected communists in indonesia that doesn't get called a genocide because it was technically on political lines but like was one of the worst anti-communist massacres in history and they killed more people than that in during this period and that like that level of violence and the fact that the the, the people running the state understand what they had to do it means you you get you get an elite that's incredibly paranoid about like anything that like smells like organizing happening outside the party and the other thing happens is that like the the most radical students and workers of this period just get they're all dead right they killed they killed like they 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 they, they, killed, they killed like a million people the you know for 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 every one person who got killed there's about 19 people who were like persecuted in a lot of ways and that's like a lot of these people are tortured a lot of these people are like sent to prisons they are like like really horrible stuff happens to people and this process keeps going like through through the seven, like there was a huge spike in like state killings in 1970, and but by, by by the end of the 70s, like anything that sort of like could have cohered into into like a, a movement that like wants democracy in the workplace, for example, is just gone because all of, all of the radicals, like and and anyone anyone who like wanted anyone who wanted democracy in the factory, any of the people who were like even sort of like just were, like sort of rebellious, like these people have all been killed, and. The consequence of this is that throughout the through the eighties, you get this politics that's driven by this like sort of like intellectual liberal like liberal democratic politics that ignores just does like, completely ignores working class entirely, and you know, and the, the, these these people start to take power, and you get Deng Xiaoping. Well, I think I think, it, I think it's, it's like right before he takes power, but Deng Xiaoping winds up implementing the one child policy, which is this like incredibly draconian and really successful attempt, just like reestablish the state's like patriarchal control over the household and strips like hundreds of millions of women from like, like of, of, of autonomy over their own bodies. And, you know, and, and, and it really looks like through, through the, through, through, through like the late seventies and the eighties, it looks like the, the, like the Chinese ruling classes succeeded, right? Like they, they finally destroyed the, they finally destroyed like any opposition to them. But then, you know, things get very weird, which is that, Tiananmen happens and you know what by, by by 1989 like the whole like at, at, like as as a rule like in general everywhere the sort of classical workers movement that was like at demanding democracy the factory like they're basically done and so they're, they're unable to sort of do their own revolutions now the only thing they can do is sort of like latch on to other stuff but the, the problem that the party has is that so they'd they had a lot of measures in place to try to make sure that you'd never got these kinds of movements in China and they kind of worked, but when it went through the 1980s, like China starts implementing a market economy, right? They start, they start, they start like cutting this, the welfare state, they start like destroying the sort of like limited control that works had in the factories. And they kind of like unknowingly reproduced the conditions that have been producing these revolutions in every other country. And, you know, as this massive inflation wave hits, they, they turn China into this powder keg. And th- this, you know, and this combined with sort of like the, the, the liberal democratic students moving gets you this really interesting and weird ideology that these workers have. And I'm, I'm going to read it from, from an interview uh, with, with, with one of the workers who was at Tiananmen. Why do a lot of workers agree with democracy and freedom in the workshops? does what the workers say count or what the leader says we later talked about it in the factory the dictatorship sorry in the factory the director is a dictator what one man says goes if you view the state through the factory it's about the same one man rule our objective is not very high we just want workers to have their own independent organizations in work units it's personal rule for example if i want to change jobs the bus company foreman won't let me go I ought to go home at 5 at five p.m., but he tells me to work overtime for two hours, and if I don't, he'll cut my bonus. This is a personal rule. A factory should have a system. If a worker wants to change jobs, they ought to have a system of rules to decide how to do it. Also, these rules should be decided upon by everyone, and then afterwards, anyone who violates it will be punished according to the rules. This is rule by law. Now we don't have this kind of legal system. And, okay, that's a really, like... It, I, I don't know. I, I think it's a really interesting sort of like fusion of a whole bunch of stuff, right? Because on the one hand, like the the, the sort of like ruling discourse that's happening, like the, the things the students are talking about is like that we need the democracy, we need the rule of law, and, and but you know the, the 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 workers in these factories are looking at the, are looking at like the, the situation they're facing, and they're like, huh, we don't have a democracy like here either, right?" And so you get this, you get what's a, a really conservative framing of the sort of, this is a very, the sort of very classical, like critique of one man rule in the factory that has been happening for like, you know, like a hundred years. But what's interesting about this is that like any actual attempt to like do this, right. gets gets you to workers control, like democratic workers control in the factory. And as, as Walder, who Wal, Walder also wrote um another, like he, he's a guy who went and interviewed a bunch of the people who had been of workers who had been involved with this. and, As 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 they point out, like this, un un, unlike really like any other time in Chinese history, like the 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 people who are part of like the Beijing Autonomous uh, Workers Autonomous Federation are you know they don't they don't have an intellectual class like this these are these are just a bunch of workers, and they have very little connection like they don't they, they have very little like political connections right like beforehand like to to the liberal circles they're just sort of hearing what they're reading and this is this means that like what you have here is like it's not like an intellectual driven movement like this is this is just a bunch of workers and for you know for 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 like one final time their instinct when they when the revolution sort of like starts is to demand democracy in the factory and this demand like above all others is completely politically unacceptable and you know and when when the army marches on beijing it's it's these workers that they wipe out, and they wipe them out so thoroughly that the fact that this is what these people were fighting for is it's it's scrubbed from the record of the CCP. It's scrubbed like the pro democracy movement doesn't remember it, even though their entire thing is memory. And yeah, and th- this this ensures that the meeting of these actual events, what these people were fighting for, what they were trying to do, has been almost completely lost. And I think at this point we can finally ask what 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 actually was Tiananmen. Um and in some sense in 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 the, in the Chinese context itself it's a transition between two different Chinese working classes. These protests are sort of like this is the last like political sort of like mobilization of like the of the old Chinese working class which has been these people who had been in the cities who had been like they they they'd been the beneficiaries of this old sort of like socialist period welfare state. And these people in 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 the streets around Tiananmen, they mount the last attack of the of the classical workers movements and when they lose this entire class like this this entire urban working class that had been around since like the 20s that had been sort of the the, the driver of chinese radical politics that had been like that had been, that had been fighting and striking for like 70 80 years they they're they're gone. They're completely destroyed, and over over the course of the economic restructuring in the nineteen nineties, they 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 cease to exist as a class, and they're replaced by a, a new Chinese working class, which is drawn from sort of these rural and sort of semi-urban underclasses of the old social system, who are like dragged into who are dragged into the cities from from their villages from their towns, and who now fill. Actually, well, I don't I don't know what the numbers are today because it's weird because of COVID, but like. In, in 2019, there were 277 million of these people of this enormous market worker, like, force who formed the backbone of, like, the entire Chinese working class. And these people who – they they have rural household registrations. And this means that they, they don't get any of the benefits, like, the, the sort of, like, welfare benefits that you would get from living in a city. And this means that they're, you know, the, the they – they constitute like an entirely new class of 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 workers and instead of you know like whatever sort of privileges had had been like carved out by the old working class this one gets nothing and the other thing that they get is this entire raft of sort of capitalist ideology that's baked into like every aspect of the workplace culture this this is massive attempt in china to get people to buy homes and you know, the, like when where, where the old working class could at least like posit the factory as like a place where you could have democracy where like life could be improved by like different controlled factories. Like this new working class, like the thing that they want the most is to leave the factory and become a business owner. And you know, like this, this probably sounds familiar to like us, right? Like this is, this is the old joke about um like about the, U, about the American working class, which is that everyone sees themselves as temporarily embarrassed millionaires. And like, yeah, you know, in, in modern China, it's like, yeah, Okay, it's, it's like people consider themselves to be like temporarily embarrassed small business owners. And this stuff, this, this, this ideological self-conception of like, I'm, I'm going to work in the factory that I'm going to become a small business owner is completely inimical to the formation of like the classical orgasm. And the, 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 there hasn't been that kind of formation in China since. And this, this is not really a unique thing, right? The, the, the death of that workers' movement has seen a sort of, like, complete and total collapse of the demand for, like, democratic self-management, like, everywhere, ac- across the entire world. And, you know, incredibly stubbornly, like, the, the working class, like, refuses to sort of cohere itself in the factory. And so in, in this sense, China is really just sort of late to the game. They 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 got slightly early. They got they got slightly later to the point that we're at now. You said there was going to be a, a a happier
7: ending. for Oh, this. The, the, the the
8: happy ending was last episode. Oh, um, this episode is this, this episode's ending is really depressing. Well, I mean, okay, there 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 okay. They're, they're, there's a slightly less depressing note, kind of. Okay, the thing that's less depressing here is that for my entire, literally my entire lifetime, has been the U.S. lurching from one economic collapse to another, and the world the world like the international economic system like i think i i was born in like the middle of like the dot com collapse and then i got 2008 and then like there's been a bunch of economic collapses in the last like 3 years and you know the the, the whole system has like lurched from crisis to crisis to crisis and that means that there there's been an incredible just like a a, a rapidly increasing number of revolutions everywhere even even though the sort of like darker gore of the factory, like has ceased to be this thing that like creates the working, like the identity of the working class. And this means that, you know, okay. So in, in order to have some kind of mass movement, you, you need some kind of collective identity to, to mobilize around. And, you know, if, if, if you can't make this in the factory, the place where it's going to be made instead is the street. And th- this means in the, in the last, you know, like 20 ish years, like, with, without the sort of positive identity in the workplace to cohere to, to, to itself around, workers are really only able to sort of mobilize on a mass basis, like, indirect opposition to a threat that can, that can, that can confront, like, everyone at the same time. And this is the only thing that can do this is really the state. And, you know, the state has the ability to, to increase the price of basic commodities and slash welfare benefits, and that becomes the, the only available enemy. And so yeah if if you look at what revolutions have been in the last 20 years it's a constant fight against the police because fighting the police is the only thing that can that can allow you to create a new social identity like a sort of, sort of collective identification. And you know and so this means that collective like modern revolts like everything we've seen over the last like 4 years the form that it takes is mass street movements and you know continuous confrontation with the police. And you you get to literally see this with with occupy right. O- occupy was originally like the the, the 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 like the slogan Occupy was about the Argentinian factory occupations in in two thousand one, but then you know that stops like that's the end like two thousand one like that that that's, that's the end of the whole cycle. There's there's no more factory occupations. Um, well, actually, that's not true. You, you get one in Bosnia Herzegovia, which is funny because it's like they they occupy a bunch of factories, but like they don't know what to do with them, and so you get just like a regular like occupy like in like in, in the sort of like square occupation you'd get in like New York or whatever, where everyone's Sort of like sitting in a circle and talking about stuff, but it's happening in a factory. But but they're not like trying to run production. They're not trying to do any of that stuff. They're just sort of like there in it. it the, the factory isn't, is no longer this sort of like space of like creation and possibility that could like be turned into something new. It's just like a place where you go that's like indistinguishable from like a square. And, you know, for the last 10 years, it's like people, people, originally it was like it just left, right. So everyone's, everyone's occupying squares. But you know by by about 2014 people have figured out that you can't like it's it's almost impossible to hold a square if the police attempt to run you out and so this gets replaced with running street fights with the police but this you know th- this places everyone who's trying to do this in this incredibly dangerous bind because you know the the like the, the old workers councils were able to bring down states like largely they got crushed by outside militaries but they were able to bring down states because, you know there is an enormous amount of power in being able to control production but the problem is that like you know if, if you're in a square right like you don't have the ability to do that and w- with, without the sort of, without the factory occupations alongside them th- there've been a lot of general strikes in the last 4 years there's one in peru there's one in france there's one in hong kong and sudan and every single one of them has been crushed but you know but but this is a real problem right because the current labor conditions aren't going to produce another wave of factory occupations. And so the way forward for anyone who like, you know, wants to have a democracy in the workplace is completely unclear. And I think, I think that's the actual legacy of Tiananmen. The, the, the workers who are assembled outside Tiananmen square had already left their factories. And, you know, for, for, for all that they spoke, the language of the old workers movements, right. They, they spoke of democracy in the factory and one man rule. They stood and fought and died like we do in the streets. They're this bridge between sort of the classical workers movement and us and you know they, they, they face the same revolutionary crisis that we face, the crisis of Papua and Palestine and Colombia and Iran and Myanmar and Hong Kong of this this crisis of victory that's just beyond the horizon and can't be grasped. you know I, I don't think the people at Tiananmen have any answers to give us. I like I, I don't think they do. I think they they ran they ran headlong into the crisis that we ran into and they all died. Yeah, I think expecting answers from the dead is demanding too much of those who, before and after us, died fighting for liberation. And all we can really do now is find our own way, when with the names of the dead on our lips, build the
4: world they died fighting for. Hey, we'll be back Monday with more episodes every week from now until the heat death of the universe.
5: Right Rug Flooring.